From E3, oh my goodness, it's my favorite week. And wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC, your downloadable commentary for the week, delivered the way we love it to be, completely free. And that's thanks to our sponsors this week, Parachute and Linode. They made that possible, bringing the show to you. DLC, of course, the show all about gaming in its many forms, games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles, and also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard, although this week's a very special week. It's all E3 coverage. You know that I'm your host, Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T, and I'm joined, as always, by my friend slash co-host slash nemesis, the guy who knows that when you run from an archer, you run in zigzags. <laughs> Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello, Jeff. And just to say congratulations to everyone in Cleveland right now for... No, this isn't to rub salt in your wounds. I'm just saying it. can't talk basketball. You don't have to. I'm going to say it. I'm not avoiding... They... What a series. Um, Holy moly. That LeBron James knows what he's doing. Incredible. I'm sorry, Jeff, but it was... was And you you were very polite on Twitter. It was incredible. You cannot... Yeah, all all the props to them for, for... not giving up, not backing down. They played really well, but geez, I did not have a fun night last night. Also, I'm sick. You can probably tell from my voice. I got that E3 plague. So thanks to everyone that uh, rubbed too close to my face. Um, this is the first year ever that I brought hand sanitizer with me, like my own, and I used it nice. after every single demo. And so right. far, feeling fine. Smart. I got I to gotta use the Spicer method next year. Um, this is one of my favorite episodes of the year, guys, because uh, uh, thanks to everybody, by the way, that gave us uh, great feedback from last week. We did two episodes uh, covering all of the press conferences from E3, but this is, the, this is the one. This is the one where we're talking about our own personal uh, hands-on with games all, the, all week long, uh, tons of stuff to discuss, and we have a phenomenal guest to do it with. You know that DLC is always your downloadable Kanata, your downloadable Christian, but this week... Uh, DLC stands for discussing our lives at the convention, and as is now become a tradition, last year he joined us for this exact episode, and we got him back. Ben Silverman from Yahoo Games and Yahoo Esports, thanks for coming back, buddy. Thanks for having me. I, too, if you can't tell by my sultry voice, got a little bit of the E3 crud. So uh, I think that means you've had a good show if you come back with some sort of disease. That means you've done the show correctly. Right. Yeah, you definitely – we definitely got hands-on with uh, (laughs) disease-infested With with people's germs. I got a lot of hands-on germs at the show, that's for sure. Uh, So it's not going to be a usual episode. We're not going to have our usual segments. Um, It's all going to be all E3 all the time, which I'm excited about because I played a ton of games. I know that Ben and Christian played a ton of games, and we got a lot to discuss. Um, I was thinking about ways to go about this, and I kind of feel we should start right at the top with the top and talk about our game of show because Christian and I had a long, long debate back and forth on Thursday about what game we were going to award our game of show. Uh, And if you follow us on Twitter, you saw that uh, last year we we awarded the biggest game or the biggest uh, award at E3 with our giant life-size standee of ourselves. Uh, and this way, this year, uh, Christian upped the ante. He topped himself, came up with a brilliant idea. We we awarded the sweetest award at E3. Uh, we gave a, a 
a DLC cake to our game of show winner, <laughs> which, by the way, they were delighted to receive. I've never seen people more excited to get an award than when we gave them cake. Um, so the game that, t- take the, that took the cake this year for us was Horizon Zero Dawn, and we're going to talk exactly why that game won and why we decided on that game and what the other contenders were because it was very hotly debated between Christian and myself. But Ben, I'm, cons- I'm curious what your game of show was. Well, Horizon was in the mix. I will, I will, I will grant it that. I, I would have given Horizon a slice of, a, of your delicious cake. They definitely uh, deserved uh, some props because I think that was a tremendous uh, showing. And, and unlike a lot of the games that, that, that Sony had shown off, uh, had some real hands-on time. You could really play it and get a feel for the game and, and get your hands dirty with its world. And it's so interesting and strange. And, and it's one of those games you just, I think I bumped into you. We were kind of passing by uh, uh, in, in the Sony booth and you were like, I, I want to take, take the disc out and run home. And, and I, I agree. That was like really probably of all the games I played at the show. Uh, it, it was definitely in my top, uh, top five. Uh, but for me, this, this show was really a two horse race uh, between the legend of Zelda and God of war. And I think, uh, the reason why between those two games I, I sort of just fell in with both of them uh, is that they both did a similar thing, even though they're both very different games. They're both uh, companies trying to reinvigorate well-worn franchises, and they're they're both very new takes on well-worn franchises. Now, Zelda, we tend to get a different kind of game every time they put out a Zelda, so uh, you know, Zelda always kind of uh, finds a way to introduce some new uh, features. But but this year really feels like they've kind of broken it down and rebuilt it uh, in a totally new way. And God of War, even more so. I mean, I, it's hard to even believe this is a God of War game uh, because it, it just kind of bails out on so many of the features we've come to expect from God, God of War. But uh, it was, I think, the most personal game at the show, uh, especially yeah. speaking to, uh, to Corey uh, Barlog. I, I keep wanting to call him Corey Balrog. I can't stop. <laughs> um, but... Uh, I wonder how many times people have made a "you shall not pass" joke for that guy. Right. I, I couldn't. I, I, I made one as well. Um, but I mean, you know, it, this is a game that comes from this guy's heart uh, and his experience as a father, and he somehow found a way to work that into a game that has probably not had a whole lot of heart, at least for the last couple of iterations. It hasn't been about heart. It's been about blood and muscle and grit and gore. And suddenly it's, it's a, a touching tale of a, of a father trying to raise a son in a, uh, you know, uh, unfamiliar and uh, uh, uncompromising land. Uh, I really love what they did with that game. And unfortunately, I didn't really get to play it. I got to watch right. Corey play it. So I don't know if that for you guys means it's sort of not eligible or something, but um, of all the games there, that was the one that connected with me the deepest. I think it's probably my game show. Well, you definitely hit on the three that were the biggest contenders for me, and I think the three that Christian and I debated the most, Horizon, Zelda, and uh, God of War. And actually, um, people will be excited, I think, to hear that uh, at the end of this episode, we have some bonus content. I have a short interview that I did with Corey Barlog, um, and it, it, it's, it's an awesome interview. It's all too short. You'll hear me get interrupted at the end because they had very s- small windows of time to talk. But it is cool talking to him about that game. And, and that is one game that gives me hope for, <laughs> for video games going forward. The fact that they can, as you said, take a, take a franchise that's about boobies and blood and turn it into something so much deeper and richer and nuanced and have an actual story that I think will resonate 
um, uh, emotionally. Uh, but yes, we did not actually get to play it. And it also is a game that I suspect we'll be seeing at next year's E3 as well. And I think that part of the reason that Horizon edged that out in my mind barely is is because it will be out before the next E3, hopefully, uh, supposedly. And uh, and yeah, we could actually play it. But Christian, you and I talked a lot. Uh, so you want to talk about sort of your position on the game of show? Yeah, I mean, I think if it were just up to me, the only other game that I added to the mix was Dishonored 2, and then Zelda, God of War, and Horizon Zero Dawn were... And then Forza Horizon 3 kind of got close. I would say it was like sitting comfortably in fifth place and never made a serious, you know, push for the pole. Um, If it were just up to me in my gut, it would probably be... Probably be... Probably go to God of War. And... It's one of my favorite franchises of all times. Looks like it's taking influences from one of my other favorite games of all time. So it's, you know, it's kind of made for me. People might be screaming, you know, that I have a bias. Yeah, I do. I am biased in the types of games that I enjoy. That other game being The Last of Us, right? The Last of Us, correct. And those are both games that I, I really enjoy. It's funny, though, listening to you guys, um, I think that I will love the finished product, but I could see both of you finding it to be an eight or something because i think there's still going to be boobies and blood i I don't think that this game is going to end with the rainbow and a hug well i don't want it to end with a rainbow and a hug but i i do worry that this tone that we're seeing in the trailer isn't the central theme of the game and and i in that interview that you guys will hear at the end of this episode i try to kind of pin him down to that and it sounds like it's a major priority for at least for Corey to make this about that. And I, when we see more of the game and we, and and if, if it really is about those teaching moments and having you create this relationship with a non-player character with, with your son, I've never seen a video game about that before. And well, sorry to be clear. I think it will be about that, but we don't know that this is his son. It could be an adopted son or not even adopted son. Maybe they become that way. Like nothing in the trailer says that this is Kratos's son also i think that's easy to maintain that tone in the trailer because watching that trailer no part of me says i want to be the type of dad kratos is like he's he's a jerk from the beginning right but but my hope is and this is kind of one of the reasons why i didn't give a game of the show because we don't know for sure and i don't want to project too much onto it but my hope is that the journey of the game is that by the end, he softens and becomes a better dad. Like the journey of a character in a video game is to become a better dad. That would be amazing. I, I, hang on a minute. Why, why do we think he's such a bad dad? I mean, I get, I get that he's an aggro guy, right? Like he's, he's a scary dad, but I don't know. I, I was thinking when I was watching that trailer, like what would I do with my son, if we're out in the middle of the Nordic wilderness or wherever they were with like horrible monsters running around and like, you know, he taught him to shoot the thing and then he showed him you got to kill the thing and he, he didn't do the world's worst job under the circumstances of being a demigod with a chip on his shoulder and a rage kind of like anger management issue. Like, I thought he was trying to be a good dad and that's why I liked it. If he was just being mean the whole time and just, he was kind of screaming at him but like, I thought it was like you're watching this totally, you know, insane, bloodthirsty warrior. Like, 
try to be tender. And that to me was what this thing was all about. And that I think is what the game all is all about. And speaking uh, to your point, Christian, about boobies and blood, look, I'm all for it. I mean, I, I think they can still find a way to have boobies and blood and, and, and some of the kind of hallmarks of God of War worked into this game in a way that maybe just makes a little more sense and isn't just sort of like a constant barrage on your senses with this over and over again. That to me is what I think the direction they're going for is, again, a little bit more like The Last of Us, where you had these moments of intense uh, energy and, and kinetic just madness, and then you'd have these quieter moments where they could actually develop characters. I'm hoping that that's a little bit more the flow we're going to get out of this game and not just sort of you know, one insane harpy fight after another. When I, I totally agree with everything that you said there. Um, I think he's trying to be a good dad, uh, but at no point am I watching him thinking, and this is, hi, I'm very liberal. If you don't know me, hello, my name is Christian. I am a liberal male that uh, does a lot of the primary parenting in my household. Welcome to my standard or, you know, my life, how, how I live my life. But at no point am I watching this thinking this is the dad I want to be. Um, he's not big on positive reinforcement. Let's just say <laughs> Right. And, and just quickly, like, how would you handle that situation? I would say, Hey son, we're going to go out and hunt. Let's go over some tips. Here are some things I can teach you. Not your mother left you this knife. Time to use it. Also, when those monsters show up that I haven't warned you about yet. Like he's from Brooklyn. Yeah. He is. He is. He's from Brooklyn. Um, so, but that all being said, um, that would have been my game of show. Like, I think it looked incredible. I think what they're doing with the character is great. I think too, there was like some cool Easter eggs in there. Like when he went into Spartan rage, you could see the scars of the chains that used to be on his wrist lit, lit up. Like they peeked out from the top. looks like he had like bandaged them up. Like he's trying to control his rage or hide it. I don't know if he's embarrassed about his past or if it hurts or whatever. But when I saw that happen, I was like, Oh, cool. This is a, uh, there's that's Kratos. I don't know what happened to those chains, but, um, and then the combat they showed looked cool. When I watched the hands-off, you know, but the live playthrough of it, I was watching them play the game. And I don't know. I did not ask a question. I don't know. But it looked a lot of uh, looked like it was a lot of shoulder button combat, which kind of reminded me of maybe Dark Souls. Uh, so I don't know. But that's that'd be a big shift in the well, game. One, one thing they did say in that behind closed doors session is that you have one button to throw your axe and a separate button to bring it back. So you have the option during combat to throw your axe, pin a dude to the wall with it, and then leave him there to take him out of the fight while you fisticuffs other guys and then pull the axe back when you've vanquished those foes to deal with the dude that you pinned to the wall. I think that kind of creativity in the combat seems really exciting and cool too. Yeah, I mean, I think Sony Santa Monica has proven that when it comes to third-person combat, they're kind of the best ever. I mean, this, you know, the, the series has done this kind of combat in, in incredibly well. And while they've dropped the camera down and you know it has a different feel to it now, I, I, I have very little reservations about how the combat's going to... I mean, I'm interested to find out how the combat's going to be, but, but I, I don't think it's going to be uh, uh, bad. I think it's going to be right. different and new and interesting. And I, yeah, and I, I get why there's sort of like, you know... Uh, a reservation about giving a game a show because we don't know those answers. Whereas in Horizon, to kind of bring it back to Horizon, um, you get it. You get it all sort of in a small package, right? You get like a little area to run around in. You get to really see how this game's going to work, and it's it's sort of a known quantity in terms of 
what you're doing. None of it is that outrageously in, in innovative in and of itself. It's just totally peculiar and unique and feels very fresh, even though it's it's kind of relying on well-established uh, features in an open-world game. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I think it's a pretty safe bet that we'll be playing God of War at next E3, and hopefully it'll remain in that game of show discussion at that point. Uh, but, you know, last year we gave our game of show to Fallout 4, which is a game that, you know, you, you, we were playing much sooner than, you know, than another E3 from then. Um, and, and I think that, yeah, Horizon, as you said, it is, it's the kind of game I like, which is, you know, big open world role-playing game. And though the things I like about those kinds of games are the fact that I can live in this interesting world for a little while and go where I want and explore it how I want. And that world that, that's on display in Horizon is so different and interesting and cool looking. That reclaimed uh, apocalypse idea where it's lush again and there's these wild, you know, robot dinosaur creatures. It's just so fresh and interesting a place that I'm taken with it. And then the level of freedom that's on display in the hands-on session of, you know, kind of dealing with those creatures as you want. There's times where you get to tame them and ride them and other times where you'll trap them and other times where you just kind of steal resources from them and how all of that is played on this, on this backdrop of a big story-driven uh, role-playing game where you're getting quests and having, you know, branching dialogue trees and all that cool stuff that we know and like from role-playing games I just think that that's going to be a, a really spectacular package in a world that's not just another Tolkien fantasy kind of thing. It's really got its own unique look and feel. Yeah, I think that... Well, I also think the the combat of Horizon Zero Dawn is... It, it's not um, groundbreaking, but I think they're doing cool things with somewhat established roles, like the way you tie down a larger animal and, and the way you're able to create animal friends temporarily and hack into them. And my hope is that the combat remains engaging over the course of the gameplay. And I don't know if this is the part where I transition to saying why Zelda wasn't it for me. I think part of it goes to what we've said, you know, Jeff, for you and I of that we'll likely see it again at next year's E3. I know there are rumors it might come out in March. If I had to bet, I would bet we will see Zelda at next year's E3 before it comes home. Um, but to me, you know, what they showed and what we played of Zelda, the combat of Zelda remained very much Zelda. And while it is kind of a physics playground and you can roll the boulder down and do all these different things, I think maybe I'm the only person alive that feels this way. But I don't think Zelda is that revolutionary. I don't think Breath of the Wild is doing anything that different from what other Zelda games have done. And I've listened to everybody say that Nintendo is, you know, deconstructing this established franchise and doing this brave new thing. But I mean, in Wind Waker, I could get on my boat and sail anywhere in the world. Granted, the world was mostly empty. Uh, it was mostly sea. And in almost every Zelda game ever, Zelda one, you could kind of the original Zelda, you could kind of go wherever. And from what I played of Breath of the Wild, I think it's going to be very gated in the way other Zelda games have. I mean, they showed that if you go to the cold areas and you don't have clothes to keep you warm, you can't go there. You know, you will die. You can climb anything, but you have a stamina meter. And if you haven't buffed up your stamina, you're not going to be able to get high enough to get to the uh, stamina temple or whatever. Like, don't get me wrong. Stamina I think the, temple. Yeah, I don't know what it would be called. I think the game looks incredible, and I'm sure the temples will be amazing. But, like, I don't see it as this revolution in Zelda. And then lastly, for why it didn't become game of show for me, 
the NX is just the big elephant in the room. And I know people are probably screaming, well, God of War is, what about the Neo? Yeah, God of War wasn't my game of show either. (laughs) I mean, I think Horizon Zero Dawn, from what they said, was running on a vanilla PS4. That's what we'll be playing it on. And so all of those things kind of pushed it up and kept Zelda from being it. That being said, if Zelda is your game of show, I mean, we're not fighting about it. You know what I mean? Like, I get it. Well, you and I fought about it a little bit. I I think I pushed a little harder for Zelda. And in the end, I'm totally happy giving it to Horizon. But we did did talk it back and forth a lot. And I I was really tempted by Zelda because it, it does have the fact that, you know, they let you play a large amount of time on that game. And it's very impressive. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a game, right? It's not, this is not a tech demo. This is a full game that, that you're playing. There's a lot of stuff I'm sure that they were holding back, but there's two large sections that we were able to play. They gave us lots of time on it. And it is pretty special already. You can just tell when you get it that it's got that Nintendo polish already. There's so many little things that are just magical, like the fact that when you cook stuff for yourself... You, like, pile things in your arms. You know, you pile mushrooms and meat and stuff in your arms. And there, and you see them sort of, like, piling up in little Link's arms. And then he tosses them into a pot. And they sort of, like, bop around in that pot as the heat, you know, cooks them. Just little stuff like that is like, oh, I'm, I'm really in The Witcher or Skyrim or something. But done with this fairy tale Zelda aesthetic that is so joyous and so wonderful. Yeah, and also so packed with secrets, which I think is something that always has been you know, a hallmark of Zelda is that the world is never what it seems, right? I mean, you play a game like Skyrim and you, know, you look at the, you know, the giant mountains and the vast landscapes and you kind of know, you know you're going to have to go into that cave and you're going to do stuff, but it's not like you're going to look under every tree and look over, you know, you know, look under every rock and try to find little magical tidbits everywhere. But in Zelda, I'm going to do that. I'm going to chop down every tree to find like the ding behind which right. the fifth tree to the left of this forest. Like that to me is Christian where this marriage really becomes a sexy one, you know, where it's not just that they're taking Zelda and sort of, you know, breaking down some walls and making it more open. It's that it really feels like they're trying to combine uh, that kind of whimsy that you expect from a Zelda game with uh, just sort of the ability to to roam around larger environments and 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 do things with Link you haven't been able to do. I mean, you talk about that you have to put on a you know, certain outfit to get into the cold area, but you also pick up random weapons everywhere, and you can just find a new pair of shoes. Like you actually sort of role play with Link. You put new armor on him as you play through the game, and not just to get through one special section. You do that to beef up his stats the way you would do in a regular RPG. It's I think just a new look at Zelda. Not necessarily that in and of itself. The is going to be the world's most innovative game. It's more that it's just a, a, I guess, a new way of looking at an old game, and and that to me is maybe the most you can expect out of a company like Nintendo, who have, you know, not done a great job in refreshing their franchises. You know, they just kind of spit out a new one every couple of, uh, well, maybe twice a year at this rate but you know oh here's another kirby game that plays just like the last kirby with one new thing and here's a star fox that's kind of crappy and kind of looks like the other star foxes but this one feels like okay they're really they're going for it and i don't know what's going to come out at the end but but i agree with jeff we were able to play it it played well i mean look even though the combat's similar i got to jump off a rock and like slow-mo in the air and shoot an arrow at a dude and it felt good it felt like a good action combat game dude Um, when you're on a hill 
You can jump up in the air, take your shield, put it underneath your feet, and surf down the hill on a shield. <laughs> it's like Zelda snowboarding <laughs> game. Gleaming, gleaming the cube. It's like gleaming the cube, guys. It, it, that was that was a moment where I was like, uh, yeah, I'm in. I'm in on this. But uh, as far as the like secrets around every corner and up every tree thing, it's almost intimidating because – as you said, Christian, you can climb any surface in this game. If you have the stamina and there's like recipes that give you more stamina, etc., you can climb any surface. There's no limit. There's you don't have to look for handholds or ledges or whatever. You can climb anything. So the idea that they would hide stuff throughout this world, it's almost terrifying to me how many hours you'll be able to spend just wandering around looking for cool stuff. And because there's this economy of resources now, there's lots more cool stuff. Like, you're not just looking for keys and dungeons or whatever, or, you know, pieces of heart. Now there's cool, as you said, cool swords or cool weapons that will deteriorate over time, or, you know, cool bits of um, garment to wear. It's like... They've just ripped the lid off of the whole secret finding bit of it, and it's almost terrifying to me. Oh, I thought of, of one other thing for why, and I, it could be wrong. And it, don't get me wrong, if Horizon Zero Dawn ends up being a crap game, I will not sit there and defend it because we gave it E3 Game of Show 2016. But as a single-playing, single-player game experience, I... I think I require more of a narrative than what this Zelda has shown and what other Zeldas have given me. And then it's just me being realistic with myself that the last console Zelda that I finished was Wind Waker. Um, Twilight Princess, I didn't see the completion. Um, The sword. Oh, gosh. Skyward Sword. Skyward Sword I didn't finish. I'm, I'm going to ask you what both of you, what the last console Zelda either of you finished. And I, so I just don't. And then Fallout 4... No, console. That's a console. No, it's not. Home console. Uh, it was Twilight Princess. I did not finish Skyward Sword, although I kept meaning to go back to it, and I just never did. Great game. Oh, oh my, I might go back to uh, Majora's Mask. I'm not going to lie to you guys. I mean, I've played through a lot of them, right? But yeah, there's. you're right. I mean, there's... There is a point in a lot of these Zeldas where you just kind of like hit a wall and you kind of don't want to run across the giant field again to get to like the next section. You're just kind of like, I think I've gotten my fill. But that's what this one to me. I mean, I finished Skyrim. You know, I finished The Witcher Three. Like, I actually am, find these kinds of games more alluring, even though they tend to be larger or be more packed than sort of the okay, where do I find the next dungeon in a typical Zelda? This to me feels at least more enticing to start just roaming around and seeing what kind of trouble I get into. And yeah, that's nobody interesting. Else, nobody else does that thing that Zelda does, which is you walk into a dungeon, you see four exits, you don't have any keys for half of them, but you know you're going to figure it all out. Like, <laughs> that's a cool thing. There's Skyrim and The Witcher, you know, they have cool dungeons and stuff, and even Skyrim has kind of some puzzles, but that Zelda thing of... You're walking into this elaborately designed puzzle system that is, you're going to figure out over time. It is so fun to me. And to think that they're going to do that in an open world game, it just, it's, and the level of polish they're going to bring to it, it already feels like it has it. And the amount of time they're taking and not rushing it, I'm, I'm so, I think it's going to be a very special experience. Are you guys concerned at all, though, that compared to something like Horizon, it, it still looks a little dated? It it does the art direction is beautiful, but the technical graphics, yeah, there are jaggies. It is definitely running on a Wii U. Uh, NX is the biggest mystery in my head, Ben. I want your answer on the graphics thing, but then the follow up question to that is: 
if this does the Twilight Princess release, and let's say we get this on Wii U one month before we get NX, will you wait or will you play immediately? I'm waiting. I mean, no question there. Same thing. Exactly. I mean, the Twilight Princess analogy is exactly right here. I hate it when Nintendo does this. Uh, I hated it when they did it with, the Twi- with Twilight Princess. I hate it when anybody does this. I mean, even waiting, you buy a Wii U. One of the reasons you own a Wii U is to play the new versions of Nintendo's well-known franchises. They've yet to put out a real Super Mario, you know, like Super Mario Galaxy, what everyone really wanted. They did they, 3D World. They did 3D World, which was a good game, but I think for, for someone like me, I, I wanted to see what the new, definitive new look experience is. And to me, that was just like, it was cool, and it had a lot of elements I loved in Mario games, but I, I would have preferred a, a, what they did with Galaxy, which was such a big departure, but felt sort of similar. I was hoping for something like that on the Wii U. But the, the craziest and, and, thing about Zelda is that Link walks around the entire game with a Wii U pad in his pocket. <laughs> yeah, that, that and that that gives me pause about what the NX is going to be, right? Well, com- like it looks like they completely scrapped any idea like they started clearly started out that game going we're going to have this cool thing where when he pulls out his pad, you look at your pad and it's like, you know, you feel like you you are Link because you've got his pad, he's using the pad. And then they could just completely scrapped that idea. Completely. Yeah, well, I mean, I, it, it, you know, Christian's right that this looks like it's really pushing the Wii U. Like, the Wii U's coughing a little bit when, when you see it kind of running. And maybe it's because it's a demo, and you, you can't really look at any E3 demo and get too connected to how it looks uh, when it's this far out because you just you don't know what, where, where it is. And, you know, they have to kind of work these demos out sort of to, to run so that people can play it at the show. And often, you know, they're, they don't run technically that well. But I do think that... Because they're developing this for the NX as well, for sure it's going to look better on that system. I mean, unless that system just has zero system specs, and I, well, I, I think we know it's going to be a more powerful, more potent system. So I have a new I'm theory. I have yep. a new, I have a new prediction for this, and and I don't think people are going to like it, but I, I suspect this might be the case. My prediction is based on you know they were sort of saying this week, oh you know specs aren't our primary concern. <clears throat> My new prediction for NX is that it isn't necessarily a replacement for Wii U. It's more a replacement for the 3DS and that it's a, it's, it's a coming together of both of those systems, but it's primarily a portable system that is not more powerful than the Wii U. It's about the same power as the Wii U, just in a handheld, and that it's more, it functions more like a uh, NVIDIA Shield or an Ouya, that it, it will play through your television or not, you can take it with you or, or have it beam to your television, but it's basically the same power as the Wii U, and it's under $200. Yeah, I hate, I hate everything. You just <laughs> I, I don't like it either, but I think that's what it's going to be. I really think that's my new, that's my new prediction. Oh, wow. Um, that's too much. You just dropped that. Like, I, <laughs> I yeah, I'm going to need a couple days to unpack that and yell about it in the shower. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want that to be the case. I want the NX to be this cool, powerful thing that actually can support VR, et cetera, et cetera. But I suspect that they went price point, price point, price point. And what are kids playing? They're playing on their iPhones. Let's give them something portable. You know, I, I don't know. I think that makes a lot of sense. But I hope I'm wrong. I hope the NX is super powerful and that Zelda looks even better on that machine. I think it's going to have to. I mean, I, you, you might be right in... in Again, I, I can't stand it that I even said you might be right. But you might be right in, in that they're, they're obviously trying to bridge handheld and console. I would be really surprised if the game looked 
the same as it does in the Wii U or worse on the NX. I mean, I think it's going to have to look better. I think that's why, you know, they're kind of holding it. Otherwise they would kind of put the thing out. Um, I feel like they would have to do that, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's either way, you know, it's, I think if you, if you decide not to get the NX, you're one of those folks who, you know, mistakenly just bought a Wii U like two months ago, then like, yeah, it's still going to be a cool game for your system. I don't think it's going to be lame on the Wii U. And even if it runs a little chuggy here and there, you know, look, so did a lot of open world games on a lot of systems that we've been playing for a long time. So it's it's not like that's going to be the big stunning thing. Like, oh, no, it chugs every once in a while. Yeah. Um, I would say that that playing it with that Wii pad, though, is not ideal. I mean, that's just not a great controller if you're only it's it's literally only being used as a controller in this game i mean if you look down at the screen it's just showing you the the button map uh you know information um and and as a pure controller it's not great but i think they're probably going to support you know legacy controllers and stuff. well they said they support the pro controller and the wii u pro controller is an incredible controller yeah so that's probably the way to play it um so those are our you know, sort of top picks as uh, game of show contenders. Uh, I'd love to hear your top picks. You can always email us dlcfeedback at gmail.com. Um, but uh, we have lots more games to talk about, uh, not just the, the top ones, but other contenders and, and hidden gems and all the stuff we played. We got lots more show coming at you. I do need to thank our sponsor, Parachute. Uh, I'm excited to talk about Parachute because when you have a long E3 week, E3 is an, an interesting convention because it is takes place in Los Angeles, which is where I live. But Los Angeles is a big, sprawling, spread out place. And so the fact that it's downtown means that it almost is as if it's in a different city <laughs> because the commute time to get downtown is ridiculous. But it's so nice to be able to come home and sleep in my own bed. And that's because I sleep on parachute sheets. And I'm telling you guys... I love these sheets. They are they feel like the best hotel sheets. Uh they're soft, they feel so great. I got these super high-end ones on the site and the experience of buying it was so pleasurable. It's so easy. They feel great. Uh these are free shipping. They have free shipping, free returns, and you can try them for 30 nights risk-free, which is so nice. You don't have to worry about making a decision quickly. You can sleep on them for a while and make sure they are the sheets you want. It, having nice sheets is so essential to me. I, I hate those scratchy, thin sheets. Ugh, these are nice. They're fluffy. They feel great. And they come right to your door. Uh, this is a, a place based in Venice Beach, California. But they're online, so they'll ship right to your door for free. It's pretty great. Using the website is simple. It comes in a nice little uh, box. You know, it's it's really cool. And, man, I'm sleeping so well because... I get to sleep on nice sheets, and when I come home from a long day at E3, knowing that I'm going to have very little sleep and get back up and rush back downtown, it's so nice feeling like I'm sleeping on really good stuff. And the best part for you is because you listen to this show and you want to upgrade your sleep experience, we're going to give you $25 off. All you got to do is go to parachutehome.com slash DLC, P-A-R-A-C-H-U-T-E-H-O-M-E, parachutehome.com dot com slash dlc use that promo code dlc when you check out and you'll get 25 dollars off it's so great check out their website actually they have all kinds of really cool um blogs for telling you you know giving you information about the sheets and and ways to pack them up ways to to launder them i know that's not 
particularly exciting stuff necessarily, but it's really useful and uh, it's it's actually really cool. It's it's all about you know you can fold a fitted sheet. I I don't know how to fold a fitted sheet, but they have a blog about it. So um, it's it's really cool stuff. Parachutehome.com slash DLC. Use that promo code DLC. Upgrade your your sleep and get twenty five dollars off. All right, um, back to E three. So. Ben, what uh, what are other games that really knocked your socks off? What are some of your your favorite moments from from E three? Well, we mentioned Dishonored two. Yes, and I would be remiss if I didn't mention the fact that I actually got to play Dishonored. 2. Oh, I'm peanut butter and jealous. At the E3 2016 convention. Yeah, so I, I don't think I'm supposed to talk about this. I can't remember. You sign a lot of things at E3. So I'm going to go and say that I'm not probably not supposed to say, like, my impressions. This was uh, for the E3 Game Critics uh, Awards. Uh, it was made playable. So I got to drive it briefly. And uh, this is what I will say. It is, uh, it is very beautiful. And I was sort of not expecting that. Last year at the show... Uh, I got to drive Fallout 4 uh, very again very briefly, and as we all know, Fallout 4 uh, it was a little rickety even when it came out in terms of its technical prowess. Right, yeah. it was a little buggy here and there, and it felt like that at E3. Uh, this does not feel like that. This this was a very sweetly polished, graphically gorgeous game. It was running on a PC, um, and it just it looked really good and played well too. I basically played through. The same sequence that uh, they showed during their press conference where uh, – oh, I'm sorry. What, what's the main character? I'm forgetting the character's name because uh, uh, the, the, the woman, uh, not, yeah. not Corvo, but I keep wanting to say Emily. But I think I it might be Emily. Is it Emily? Uh, let's just – I'm sure let's just go with us. Yeah, someone will – I'm sure that was uh, totally off base. Whoever that lovely lady is, that's who, you, who, who I got to play as. And it's the same sequence where you have to kind of uh, – you know, uh, uh, un- uh, not unlock, but you have to sort of shut down this gate and sneak past these guards or you can uh, fight with them or whatever. And uh, I tried a couple of those powers in a different way and, and it all still worked. It wasn't, none of that stuff was scripted out, what we saw, uh, you know, where they climb up on this, uh, you know, un- unlock this uh, this little, I guess it would be sort of some sort of special, uh, I don't know, gate or something at the top of this uh uh, of a couple buildings and you can jump down on the ground and you can like knock a guy out and then fight with some other guys. I used totally different powers and then I made it through that gate and played for another about 10 minutes. So I got to actually explore the world um, and try some different abilities. It's really cool. I'm just going to leave it right there. It's really cool. It's totally dishonored, but it feels new with these new powers. What I'm really interested in is seeing how Corvo plays because I think how they push that character and, and his abilities to blinking, which is you know so core to the game, what new stuff they've done with him, I don't really know. I mean, from from what uh, the developers told me, it's sort of the same kind of thing, but but just really expanded, bigger. Everything's bigger with Corvo. Uh, it is Emily, Emily Caldwin. Um, so good job there. And I'm, I'm super jealous that you got to play this one. This is one of the ones I wanted to get hands on with, and I didn't end up having enough time to sort of fit everything in. But uh, it, it's great that we're going to be playing this this year. It it looks just gorgeous and uh you know christian and i were talking i know this is the thing you like the most about the game too is this this feeling of improvisation and and mixing and matching powers and how the designers themselves don't exactly know how everything's going to fit together and you'll be able to invent these cool ways to take dudes down it it just looks like a and the new area that they're showing that new 
world, uh, island or whatever that you're playing most of the game in, it's such a cool looking place to be. And, and again, I, that's one of my favorite things about video games is being in interesting places. So uh, I'm very excited about this one. Yeah, I mean, it feels it still feels a little bit like the last game. Even the look of this new island. I, I mean, you know, the, the, the vistas make it look different, but when you're kind of crawling around through the streets, it still feels like it's part of the same world. And the character design, that kind of weird, I don't know, puggish look to all the characters. They look yeah. kind of cartoonish and half human. Uh, that's all still there. So it definitely carries the same aesthetics, uh, the aesthetics as, as the first game. Um, her powers were really cool. Uh, the thing where you can kind of tie a bunch of enemies' brains together and then like what you do to one affects the other ones. That was right. super cool. Feels feels overpowered, if anything, right now because you just tag a bunch of enemies and then knock one of them out and you've just knocked out three enemies. Um, but uh, yeah, really intriguing game. And we know how good that first game was. It's, it just goes that this, this next one should be uh, at least that good. I mean, I would hope it's somewhere in the ballpark of that. And that's a ballpark I really like. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Christian, do you have a game you want to bring up? I'm very cautiously optimistic that Days Gone is going to deliver something cool. Um, I, I really like what Sony Bend has done in the past. I think what they showed in the extended demo, I did not go hands-on, but again, like I watched a guy play it, and in the extended demo, there's an interior scene where the guy's running and, and gunning and hiding in this warehouse and climbing over things and using more in the world to interact to stop this horde of horde of zombies my question marks with the game are how do you know where you're going like there has to be more of a hud than that like when i talked to them briefly um i, I just asked like how how do how do how am i supposed to know where you go <laughs> and their reply was well you know there are many different routes you can take there are many different things in the environment you can interact with and then I said, well, why would I stop to interact with any of them if I don't know if I can? I think I would just keep running and try to run. Like, can I just run and get back on my motorcycle and leave? Like at this point in the demo they showed, once that thing has triggered and the guy you went to go rescue is not rescuable, <laughs> like why am I still in this place? Why don't I run, climb out the chain link fence, get on my motorcycle and drive away? And um, they just said, it's a good question. We'll show more soon, which is the you know, we can't answer that question answer of E3, I feel like. <laughs> um, but I, I like the idea of someone doing the um, Daisy style, not yeah, Daisy, no, World War, World War Z, Z. Yeah. World War Z style zombie of this like flood of zombies and you're just a cork and a dam and that thing's not going to work. Um, so I think that is very interesting to me. And then a game that I think has shown porn poorly up until this point. I think the way that they, what they showed of call of duty, infinite warfare puts that game in a better light than any of the other trailers they've released yet. I mean, it really made it seem like this space stuff is going to bring something new to the franchise in a really cool way in the changing from gravity to zero gravity to back to gravity to back to zero gravity to back to your ship to flying away now you're ship battling and now you're in zero gravity and now you're in gravity and now you're back in your ship yeah like, remember when we had loading times guys right remember when there were levels and crazy when you stopped at the end of a level and then it loaded the next level no now you just get in a spaceship you blast off. You see the blasting off through space. You're, now you're in space. Now you're, it's so incredible, just the tech of that, to feel like it's all one big connected thing on the surface of a planet, into space, in a spaceship, then onto the space station, fight there, back into your ship. It is just, I mean, it, it's that Call of Duty 211 thing 
but yeah. done on a scale that's, you know, more than just one planet. It's crazy. Yeah. And it's unfortunate that they are calling it a Call of Duty game because that's going to turn off so many people just by hearing Call of Duty. And then when you actually play it and see it, it's like, well, yeah, it's Call of Duty in the sense that it's like unbelievably fast and smooth and well polished. But it does, and it feels a little bit like a Call of Duty game, you know, when you're like fighting the robots on the ground. But this could have been called anything. And if you didn't know it was a Call of Duty game, you just saw it, you'd be like, that looks like an awesome shooter. Right. That looks like an interesting new shooter I want to play. But the Call of Duty thing is just going to kind of, I think, cage it in a little bit more than, 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 than it should. Because you're right, it's a really cool game. Well, that's why I think the way they showed it at Sony's press conference was intentional or not one of the smartest things. Where it didn't start with the logo of Call of Duty. Sony came out of their VR games and then just rolled into this trailer of this guy doing awesome stuff in space. And everybody's like, this looks amazing! And then it says Call of Duty and you're like, oh, crap, I guess I love Call of Duty. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was funny watching Twitter sort of erupt, everybody at the same time saying like, oh my god, uh-oh, I think I like Call of Duty. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. That, I don't know if they've released the uh, the extra level that they showed behind closed doors, but that one is a much more conventional sort of on-the-ground moment. You know, you're running between buildings, you've got a squad of dudes that are all yelling at you, telling you which direction to go. It's at night, it's in Zurich, it's foggy, and uh, you're fighting mostly like automatons, these android mm-hmm. things that don't look like people. They look like Terminator exoskeletons. And I kept thinking, like, this is like the coolest Terminator game ever made. Um, and that stuff looked really cool and really exciting. I mean, I, I'm a big fan of what I saw from Call of Duty Infinite Warfare. It looks awesome. And yeah. yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Ben. I was just going to say, yeah, I, I, I think – both of the you know really huge, well maybe all three of the really huge first person shooters, which would be uh, uh, Call of Duty and then Battlefield and Titanfall, um, they all felt good to me. I mean, I, it was a tough week for anything like that. I mean, we you know obviously it was like the worst week to like be playing games with guns in them, right. and it it was it was sort of hard to do that at times. But if you kind of detach yourself from your emotions and just kind of dig into like the technical prowess of these games, all three of them were really really good. I, I really. Even though I suck at Battlefield and I got just demolished when I was playing it, I was gobsmacked by how cool the game looked. It just looked incredible. It was so much – there's smoke and things and shells and tanks and it was everything you kind of want in a Battlefield game kind of brought back a little bit closer to Battlefield's uh, you know, original 1942 look and feel. Um, and I, I really had fun with that. And Titanfall as well, fast and smooth and just so slick. I mean, you see the money in these games and uh, you feel it in the controller. I, I thought all three of those games, despite, again, not being that excited about them going in because I kind of knew what I was going to get out of them, I said, they're still fun. I still had a, a lot of fun playing. Yeah, I, um, it, sadly, I, you know, I went back and listened to our episode last year when you were on, Ben, a little bit, and we had to start that episode talking about a mass shooting in America uh, that was on the news. So really sucks that things don't change. Uh, but putting that aside, I, I agree with you. I, I got to play um, Titanfall 2 multiplayer. Uh, single player is really what I'm more excited about. But the multiplayer, man, just that grappling hook is real fun. Like how it works and how you can just sling yourself across a map, getting from one end to another very fast. I mean, you jump up into the air, you grappling hook to any surface, you zing yourself toward it, you hit that surface, you wall run, you leap onto the roof, you climb up because you can grab onto pretty much anything, you, you jump again, you grappling hook again. I mean, in you know three seconds flat, you're from one end of the map to the other. And, and I think that, that level of locomotion 
and that traversal feels so fun and kinetic. It, it really makes you feel like you're not out of the action for any given period of time. It's the bionic commando game we've all been waiting for. <laughs> exactly. <feel> exactly. Like. <laughs> it's good stuff. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about um, Sea of Thieves because uh, I raved about that uh, during the press conference episode, uh, which, by the way, let me just take a second and stop. Uh, got a lot of uh, big, big thread in our subreddit at um, 5x5dlc.reddit.com uh, saying that I was being pro-Sony anti-Microsoft, which is hilarious because if you've been in this industry long enough, doing what I do long enough, uh, you get accused of every side of that bias. Uh, I used to be, you know, the guy who was so pro-Microsoft and anti-Sony, and then I've been the guy who's pro-PC and anti-console. Um, so, you know, Either I'm the the most uh, mercurial <laughs> flip-flopper in history, or maybe that's just not real true, and I'm just kind of calling it as I see it. Um, so, you know, I think that's the case. So let me just say that. But I was very excited about uh, Sea of Thieves, and uh, I got a chance to play it. I think these games are interesting. This and Star Trek Bridge Crew, which I got to play twice and is ridiculously fun in VR... I think they are representative of kind of a new subgenre. I mean, we have co-op games, but these are like cooperation games. I mean, I know that's what co-op is short for, but in co-op games, you have a buddy who's also doing that stuff you're doing, and in cooperation games, you can't do anything unless everybody coordinates, right? Maybe they should be called coordination games. But, and I think that is really fun, the idea of, of fracturing a job into component parts and making it impossible to do it by yourself. You, it requires cooperation and it requires teammates that do stuff. The challenge obviously is going to be matchmaking in these types of games that isn't frustrating getting with some a-hole who wants to just, you know, disrupt everything. But if you can play with a group of people that are good or a group of friends that you all know, that fun of, I can't accomplish anything unless we're all on the same page and things go wrong because, you know, it's hard to, to cooperate like that and, and sort of the, the misadventures are just as fun as the adventures. I, I think it's going to be great. I, the, when I was playing Sea of Thieves, like, you have, you know, different items in your hand that help in certain ways. You can build things and stuff. And one of the items you have is your cup of grog. And I drank my mead or grog or whatever it is. Uh, and I didn't, not knowing that it would do anything. And, of course, it made me drunk and then I fell off the ship. And everybody's like, man overboard, man overboard. And I was like, just go on without me. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's ridiculously fun. Uh, and, I, and I love the fact that there are these new kinds of games. We saw two of them at E3. Well, I mean, I think this is the space teamification right. of uh, console gaming, right? Because, I mean, space team was awesome on your iPhone because of this very thing. It was sitting around with people and just sort of screaming at each other that someone needs to you know, release the Hinkinator and someone needs to plunge the flanger and, and you're just sort of yelling at each other and, and trying to listen at the same time. And, and that's, I think, what all these games sort of are now doing and they're, and they're, they're bringing it over to, uh, to new experiences with a pirate ship or with a spaceship or, uh, you know, I guess that would sort of be space team, but like in a Star Trek yeah. in VR environment. Um, I think it's really cool. But yeah, I, I think it requires friends for it to really work the way it's supposed to. Like, I never played Space Team with strangers. I don't know how fun that would be. It feels like you're... You, you really need four people, right? It's it's most fun when you have a full 
a complement of players. And I think it's going to be most fun when you have a full complement of friends. And you mentioned grog. I think you're going to need to be drinking your own personal (laughs) grog to really get the most out of Sea of Thieves. Uh, And that, to me, just starts to narrow my... Uh, my chances of really enjoying it. You know, like my f- two favorite kinds of games are solo games where I can just, you know, play by myself in a role playing game, you know, again, Horizon or Zelda or whatever. Or multiplayer games where I don't feel like I need a specific group of people to enjoy it. And also, I don't feel like I'm going to get berated if I suck. So Hearthstone or Rocket League, both multiplayer games where there's only so much crap you're going to get from someone. You know, <laughs> you get a couple emotes or you get a couple lines here and there in the, uh, in the chat window, but that's about it. Um, so I don't know. I, I feel like these are cool. These are great ideas, but in, 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 in practice, it's going to be a little bit of a tough sell and a setup you're going to need to really enjoy it. And that being said, Sea of Thieves, it's rare, and those guys are great um, at, at are keeping they? games fun and funny. Are, okay, they ha- okay, you're right. They have been great. <laughs> at one time, a company That's called true. Rare has been great. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right. I totally agree with that, Christian. I think this is a little bit of a weird... Uh, move for them because everyone's wanting them to make another big, giant, awesome Banjo-Kazooie, and they're not doing it. Um, They're doing this instead. So yeah, I I think it's a great idea, but is it going to be awesome when I'm on my couch? I don't know. I'm I'm very hopeful for Sea of Thieves. I hope I'm wrong, but here's my, you know, whatever day it is today at 11, June 20th at like 11.30 Pacific time. I think it's going to get uh, above average, but not great reviews. I think it's going to have a maybe small but dedicated following. I think it's going to be a bomb uh, sales-wise. If it comes out at all, I'm fearful that it might suffer the same thing as uh, Fable Legends, where this game has to be the, you know... A- work on everything and go everywhere and maybe become free to play. And I don't know, I'm, I'm fearful of what this game needs to achieve in order to come out and be successful. I think right now it's empty. Like there, I know it's just E3, but you know, what, what do you do in this game? Well, we'll talk, look for more information soon. No, no, no. Like, but seriously, like, what do I do in this game? We'll be filling out more details soon, but you don't understand. It's pretty clear what you're going to do. You're going to go around, you're going to be on a ship you're going to attack other players. There's, it's, it's a multiplayer thing. They're talking about it being a little bit like uh, the Division, where if somebody has booty on their ship and you take down their ship, you can steal their booty. Uh, you're going to find islands. You're going to explore those islands and, and get the treasure that's there. You're going to earn, uh, you know, earn treasure and be able to spend that on, like, you know, funny hats and upgrades for your ship and stuff. It's, you know, a pirate life simulator. I hope it's good. I, I heard you say free to play microtransaction bomb is what I heard you I say. I didn't say any of that. <laughs> but I, I hope I hope I'm wrong. And I will also this is my last prediction. You will not play more than three hours of this game after it comes out, Jeff, if you play it at all. And if you do play it at all, you will not um pay for it. You will give, be given a review code. If it is up to you to buy this game, you will not buy I, if it. I can get a crew, I would I would love to play this. And it I just heard you agree with me. <laughs> It's it. Uh, <laughs> if, if I can get a if I can get a crew is a big caveat. It you is. know, you really got yeah. It's it, it's sort of like I mean, look, you can get together your board game nights, right? You, but it's a pain in the butt. Everyone's got to like, okay, what? It's Thursday. Okay, can everyone get here? It's like not easy to organize things when you get to a certain point in your life. I, I, and I think that this is sort of trying to appeal to people who like rare and therefore are older. And it, I don't know. It does feel like a tough sell. What what worries me most about not just this game. And and maybe people are going to now accuse me of the same thing they accuse you of. I just don't feel like Microsoft came out with with enough 
big stuff to offset some of the really exciting games we were talking about earlier in the show. I just and, and the fact that Sea of Thieves is like one of the coolest things they have, and it's a game that probably I you know like Christian said isn't going to like sell three million copies. Um, well, I, I'm a little concerned about. What I think that's how Sony about. cheats, though. I agree that Sony had more exciting games, but all of those exciting games were 2018. Not all of them, right? Horizon Zero Dawn is is March or February. It's it's soon, but I mean, I think God of War. I mean, God of War. Sorry, uh, that's my bias showing. Um, Gears of War four looked incredible. I think I'm still excited for that game. Forza Horizon three, I think, has a chance to be the best my favorite driving game of all time. And these are games that are very, very soon. Um, we happy few in terms of like small, that, like they have all the third party games, stuff, those, but, but, but gears of war and Forza preach to the choir. It's the same stuff. I mean, like I, I gears of war four looked great. I played it. It was exactly the same feeling that I've had playing every other gears of war. Like there was, I shot the locust, you know, the, the, the enemies, it doesn't feel like I'm shooting them. They just stand there as I am piling bullets into them. And then, miraculously they just kind of keel over like it doesn't have a new kind of engine that makes it feel like like when i shoot someone in uncharted given that's not my favorite shooting you game, wish you I weren't shoot, doing that <laughs> i, I kind of yeah number one i wish i wasn't doing it number two i marvel that when i shoot them in the leg like their leg goes out from under them whereas when i shoot one of these like you know brutes i'm just piling millions of, of rounds and then nothing they're not reacting it's the same thing that every gears war game has been it's cover shoot lob a grenade cover shoot and it's like we just got another, we got the remaster thing last year i just feel like this series especially in the wake of god of war getting this total new look legend of zelda getting a total re- redo i feel like that would have been awesome for gears of war to come out either to not come out with with anything this year or for them to have really rebuilt it into something fresh and it feels to me like this is just more of the same forza horizon looks like fun i'll totally play it i think it's awesome but again, is that game going to sell five million? Is that game going to sell any Xbox Ones? I don't think so. And I think Microsoft, at this show, needed to come out with more of those beacons on the hill. You guys might not like it that a game's coming out in 2017 or 2018, but to me, E3 isn't just a preview of the holidays. E3 is supposed to be a preview of what this ecosystem is going to give you. And, and it has to be the sell for this is why I buy an Xbox One and not a PS4. And I came out of that show thinking if anybody asked me which console should I buy, I would not tell them buy an Xbox One. Well, I, I, I agree with you. that, And I think that's why Sony, quote unquote, has won these past few years. But I also totally agree how someone says that Sony is cheating in doing that. I think Microsoft, I don't know, was it five E3s ago? That, that wasn't the case. The case wasn't the you know, the beacon. It wasn't eventually, it wasn't this ecosystem. Cause I remember, uh, gosh, I forget when it was maybe five years ago when, uh, Microsoft totally quote unquote one E three. Cause they came out and they said, every game we show at our press conference, you will be playing in the next 12 months. And everybody was like, what? This is incredible. Cause before that E three had been eventually and someday and here are sales figures. <laughs> and we were like, this is the worst, but Sony's found a way to get you hyped for games that are far off, also maybe never going to come out, right? Like what's happening with Shenmue 3 when everybody lost their minds last year? Like that wasn't there. Remember when um, Bioshock was going to come to the Vita and Ken Levine stood on stage holding a Vita and I had to change my pants? Like that game never came out, right? You so changed it's like, your pants for nothing. I know, I totally did. And I was stuck wearing you shorts. You still be wearing those pants right now. <laughs> <laughs> Dang you, Ken Levine. Um 
So I think it's a, you know, damned if you do, damned if you don't. It's this weird world of, uh, Microsoft has more of the same, more of the same. But there's a chance that they could come out with an incredible, totally new uh, ground shifting game before God of War 4 comes out, right? Like, we just don't know about it yet. It feels a little bit like, hey, here's, I don't, I mean, this is me speculating wildly, but I think what Ben is saying is, is spot on. And the beacon on the hill thing is, is so true and so right. And it, it is, it's about an attitude. It's about a feeling, uh, an aspirational feeling of like, oh my God, this is the place I want to be. This is where all the cool stuff is happening. And here's me speculating a little bit and, and saying that, we saw a bunch of stuff that's in the immediate future that's kind of in the pipeline ready to launch. And everything else that Microsoft is working on is probably being shifted over to Scorpio at this point. And, I mean, I I was really hoping to see Crackdown 3 at the show. I suspect now Crackdown 3 is being retooled and beefed up to be a very shiny Scorpio game. And I bet whatever it is that they can show or you know, that, that is sort of deeper in the pipeline and, and not an immediate release in the next few months it is being sort of back to the drawing board. Let's make it look really impressive on whatever Scorpio is going to be. I mean, you know what we're not talking about is we're not talking about ReCore and we're not talking about Scalebound yeah. and we're not talking about... We haven't some got of the to like- disappointments yet, Ben. <laughs> right. Right, Christian. So that's that's exactly right. And and this was the year. Sony didn't need to do all this stuff. They didn't need to take risks. They didn't need to come out and say we're going to, you know, turn Gears of War or sorry, turn God of War into a, you know, father-son relationship simulator in the forest. Like they didn't need to do that. They could have just brought out another God of War and murder stuff and everyone would have been like, "Cool, looks good." They didn't need to take any risks at all with new IP one bit and even though, right, the the you know Death Stranding or whatever is was a ridiculous thing to put on a stage. That was like <laughs> a tech demo. They don't even have an engine yet. Um, but but they 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 do a good job of 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 marketing their system, and that's what E three is. It's a giant marketing event. It's not you know it's not uh, they're not they're not actually you don't actually leave that show with anything in your hand other than a pin. I got a, like six of those. You, yeah, you should, not, you should not leave that show with anything in your hand. Anything they put in your hand, one, it's E3. You should not be taking anything. <laughs> Zelda coin? That Zelda coin is sweet. Yeah, I do like the Zelda coin. But yeah, I mean, I, I had enough wristbands on my arm to look like I just got out of Coachella. Right. <laughs> That's really what I left the show with. And uh, so I think in that sense, Sony did a great job. Microsoft, they could have – all the stuff they showed, again, looks fine. But I wanted more future – stuff like here's you know what crimson skies hey we're bringing that back they could have taken a page from sony's playbook and and reminded us why we like uh this this company and this platform ecosystem and i think they just sort of went safe and i don't think when you're trailing the way they're trailing both in terms of hard sales and in terms of sort of mind share of coolness uh that, that you can do that they just they just didn't risk taking enough tacoma was interesting that they put that in their mm-hmm. in their booth because I do think that of all the games they showed for me was far and away the most interesting um, that they would take a Fulbright mm-hmm. a game and and really put it on their system that to me was a cool looking game uh, even though I don't think it's it's going to sell anywhere near as well as Gone Home just because it's a uh, it's a little a little uh, you know a little more I don't know I don't want to say it's weirder because Gone Home was pretty weird but 
but it is sort of like you know watching a murder mystery play where you can follow any member of the murder mystery in a house. You know, you could like walk around the house and and okay, I'm going to follow the butler and see what the butler's up to. And then in this game, you can rewind back to where they're all at the dinner party and follow someone else and try to kind of build a narrative that way. Uh, a lot of people might not have the patience for it, so uh, I think it was a cool game, and I would have loved to have seen seven more things. For like me, that. The, the most exciting thing that Microsoft showed was We Happy Few, which is a, is a game that I think is going to be really interesting to play and kind of has something to say, and it works on a, a multiple levels, but also isn't a game that at E3 I want to walk up and play 15 minutes of. You know, I'm not I'm not going to like sit down at a at a booth and check out We Happy Few because it's a game that I like. I want to be brought into that world and understand what's going on and kind of be curious about the nuances of the interpersonal relationships of all the people and what's the theme and all that stuff. And that just doesn't, you know, demo well at all. Well, what does, what they didn't show, I I agree. I'm super excited for that game. I didn't understand why it's an early access, but it's because no one told you that it's a roguelike. I mean, to me, it just looked like a narrative, a single player narrative game, Mm -hmm. but it's, um, you know, new, oh, oh gosh, what's the word I'm looking for? Where you go into an environment is different every time. Um, uh, procedurally blah, blah, blah. generated? Yes, procedurally generated levels, interactions. Like It looks like there are maybe core story beats that everyone kind of does. But from what I was able to gather and, and check out, it, it has that um, roguelike element to it where you're going to be dying and coming back and restarting, which I'm hoping builds into the narrative. I don't, I don't know. This is where I make my crazy... Microsoft prediction like you did for your NX. I think that Microsoft still has time to pull off the Band-Aid and Scorpio is a new generation for them. I, I know that they've said it's all in the family, but they also said that the Xbox One uh, you know, is best with Connect. You know what I mean? Well, <laughs> like, what's the difference I, I, between a new generation and or, or not any generations and we've got this new box that has awesome stuff and is also backwards compatible. Like That I need to be able to play that same game on my existing box. Right. That's the difference. The difference is that the current box has to be forward compatible. That's what right. Yeah. yeah. Which, which I, I, think, I, think, <laughs> I think there's a chance that Scorpio, that they just kind of back out of that idea. Scorpio is a new generation. They're not going to recoup. You know, they're not going to win over win the console war quote unquote this gen with that with this family and i think limiting their games i think jeff you said at some point you know it it will be the current xbox one will be forward compatible until it's not (laughs) like at some point someone will be like guys but like look at this amazing game we made like can we please release this on scorpio because it's amazing and microsoft will say okay go ahead go ahead and release it Uh, i think companies realize uh that 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 plan uh, of exclusivity on a console or on or, or you know when you have both generations running at the same time doesn't work well. If you remember what they did with the new 3DS, right? Didn't Nintendo do that where it was like you can play this Xeno? Is it like Xeno Gears or Xeno Saga or something? And it was like this game only runs on this new right. system, and there will be more. And then they're like, weren't any more, <laughs> and that was that. <laughs> they're like, whoops, that's a bad idea. We only sold you know two hundred thousand of these. So uh, you know, I think they're going to keep trying to connect them all as long as they can yeah you know uh i want to get to um uh hidden gems that we liked and biggest surprises biggest disappointments all that's coming up uh we have a few other big games that i want to hit on uh but first let me thank uh our other sponsor linode uh, Linode is a hosting company offering high-performance Linux servers for all of your infrastructure needs Linode has it all lightning quick servers in the cloud super fast 40 gps network automated backups, node balancers, managed services, 
guides with step-by-step instructions, a simple but powerful control panel, 99.9% uptime, 24-7 support experts, and all the tools you need to get the job done right the first time. And it all starts at only 10 bucks a month. Over 400,000 customers trust the Linode platform, including 5x5. 5x5's infrastructure is happily hosted on Linode. And getting started is easy. Just pick a plan, choose your favorite Linux distro, and pick from one of eight data centers in America, Europe, and Asia. Just visit linode.com slash 5x5, L-I-N-O-D-E dot com slash 5x5 today to support the show and use promo code 5x5 for a $10 credit. Linode, simple, powerful, reliable. Uh, okay, guys, before we get to those other, uh, you know, hidden gems and stuff, I want to hit on a couple of other big games, especially the ones that I didn't get a chance to play personally. Uh, ben, I know that you got a chance to play Watch Dogs 2. Uh, mm-hmm. What was your impression of that? Um, it's like Watch Dogs 1 in San Francisco. I mean, uh, it was a very guided walkthrough, which is really disappointing when you're playing an open world game. Like uh, with the demo we all got of Horizon, we all just were like, go ahead, sit down, run around and hunt stuff. This was like, I would like you to walk over here and then get in this car and then we're going to drive here. Oops, get out now and let's go over here to this one section. So it was, it was really hard to get a sense of how, how everything connects. Um, I was not a huge fan of the original Watch Watch Dogs because I thought it sort of wasted its cool premise, which was that you can hack into everything by devolving almost every time into a shootout. Mm -hmm. Like, even though I could open the doors and look at the security cameras and disable the thing, it would just be like, and whoops, screwed up, now you're shooting everyone. And it just kept turning into that for me. And also it felt like, you know, uh, kind of a weirdly, even though there were a lot of people in the city, everyone felt sort of like a weird mannequin. It just, it didn't, have the right kind of life, the original game. This one, I think, looks better in that regard. Um, I'm also a little biased because it's in San Francisco and I know like all the locations and I got to, you know, get into a, a fight in Oakland, um, which I've actually done in real life. <laughs> um, uh, I will say that they made Oakland look, um, believe it or not, worse than Oakland actually looks like. <laughs> Yeah, like maybe I was in a really bad part of Oakland where I, you know, have driven through before, but I was like, wow, this is, this is like falling apart. Like I know that uptown in Oakland's pretty sweet. It's really expensive now. Like you can't afford Oakland. Why is this like a flop house? (laughs) Everything's a flop house. Uh, So I I think they're doing a cool job with the environment and they're really good at at that as they did, you know, uh, in sort of just building a big open world. I think the demo they showed us where, you know, he was kind of hacking into this high rise and like going through this crazy, you know, putting on Eric B and Rakim and like it was super cool and he's like sliding around choking guys out. I feel like it's going to be more just Grand Theft Autoing um for me. And and that kind of the cool stuff with the hacking I feel like is 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 if you know what you're doing, it's going to be great, but you're going to screw it up a lot and you're just going to shoot stuff. The parkour stuff I like a lot. I think that was the most interesting thing to me was how easy it was to sort of jump over boxes and navigate through the environment, which can often be a choke point in these kinds mm-hmm. of games. Um, so, I, you know, I, it, it looks good. Uh, okay. I like, I like some of the setup, but I'm not that excited about it. Christian, let's talk a little bit about Steep because I know you were excited about that game. Um, I got to play it. Ben, did you play it? I- I did. I played it too. I did. I did. So tell me what you thought of Steep. So if if you hung out with me and watched the Ubisoft conference with me and when I streamed it, I went from like, this game looks dumb. Oh, what a dumb game. Oh, I'm interested. Oh man, that was cool. Oh man, if this game comes out this year, I'm pre-ordering today. This looks incredible. (laughs) 
and then I played it, and it's it's awful. It, <laughs> it's trying to be that hangout game, like Sea of Thieves. You know, like just you hang out with your friends. Um, so this is my personal experience playing the game. At one point, I was going down um, the mountain, and I saw this thing that I thought would have been a cool line. It looked like it could have launched off of the top of this building and then landed on something. There was like a fence in the distance. I was like, I'm going to grind that. And I go... And I, I missed the jump a little bit, my own fault. And then I get, I, I'm behind a building and the developer goes, oh yeah, that's one of the places that you're going to have to reload. And I go, oh, for the demo? And he goes, well, it's a realistic mountain. And I was just like, nope, mm-mm, done. <laughs> like in my head, I was just done at that point. Like I kind of get it. Like what Ubisoft does, right? I feel like they take other ideas that other people have had, Borderlands or in this case, SSX, and then they Ubisoft them. They, they, make them realistic and and steep that just doesn't the skis felt awful <laughs> like and i can't believe i got stuck behind a building jeff i got and i couldn't unclip my my snowboard and push around it i got stuck i got and, it, and i don't know it's not fun did you guys think it was fun it's not fun well my guy that i think everybody that plays this game should get a personal uh tour guide dude that's giving them the demo that has a very thick french accent because <laughs> that makes it so much cooler when he's like, uh, now you will, uh, you will uh, uh, wingsuit a little bit. Um, and he was constantly telling me that I was like doing way better than anyone has ever done, which I'm like 98% sure he says to everybody, you know, to make you feel awesome. He's like, uh, so you are very good here. So I will let you do the little parts that most people cannot do. And I was like, oh, wow, I'm, I'm good at this game. Wow, amazing. But I'm pretty sure he says that to everybody. Um Anyway, the, I thought the wingsuit was fun. Snowboarding is plays like literally every snowboarding game ever made, um, except SSX, which is actually fun. It's like SSX where they take away the fun. Uh, wingsuit's cool. I kept saying, this game should be in VR. And I literally said that to the dudes, you know, the, my French friend. Um, and he was like, uh, we, uh, we think so too, you know. And uh, so I think maybe that might be happening, I, I hope, because that would make it cool. But what did you think, Ben? Uh, I had the same uh, heavily uh, uh, inflected French man. Did you say you were uh, awesome at the game me. constantly? Yeah, Damn yeah, it. he did, Jeff. Yes, I think he's, you are. You are so good at this. There's no one as good at this <laughs> game. A, as you. Maybe um, you and I are just both really <laughs> gifted at games. But I think that I'm yeah. going to go with that. You and I were actually the two best gamers at <laughs> E3. Um, <clears throat> you know what's the problem with this game is. Uh, you can't do a snowboarding, skiing, wingsuiting game and pretend like there hasn't been like a long history of way better, arcadey, snappy control games that have done this. And that's what this game feels like. It's just like ignoring the great lessons we learned from SSX and Cool Borders. And, yeah. you know, it, it's trying to be kind of realistic, but that's no fun because it's not realistic enough. Like, is it skate where I'm flicking the thing and like a new control scheme and I'm, I'm really a skater and I don't have special abilities. I'm not jumping crazy high. I'm just really skating. Or is it Tony Hawk where I can like just push buttons and go crazy? It's neither of those. And it felt really uncomfortable to me because I just didn't know how arcadey it is, how not arcadey it was. I just didn't, there was nothing about it other than the fact that it's this huge kind of, you know, series of mountains and you can really go anywhere and, and, and ski down any parts of it. But again, as Christian said, that means you can get into trouble really quickly and you just like hit a tree and there's the end of your run and you got to warp somewhere else. And I, until they fix that and at least show us how this all works together, like where's the 
metagame that makes this stuff fun because instead it was just like, you are flying down the hill. I'm like, all right, well, if I could flying down a hill, yeah. like, how long am I going to want to do that right. for? Yeah. Um, I was not sold on Me it. neither. I think secretly, well, not secretly, but the, the best thing that Ubisoft showed was South Park, the fractured butthole. Uh, such a great, I just can't wait to play that game. It looks awesome. Yeah, totally. I mean, the other game was so fun and funny and ridiculous. You just got to wonder where they're going to go. I don't know how you make a game more uh, crass than the last South Park game. That was the most <laughs> disgustingly funny and awful and embarrassing game I've ever played. So they have to up the Well, they did show so. in the behind closed doors part, they did show the fact that – I don't know if you could do this in the first game. I can't remember. But you could take a crap and then loot the toilet and you have your crap as like an a inventory item. So – Done and done. Um, okay, so I've, you know, I've gone however long we've been going, and I haven't really talked about VR. So let's do a little bit of a VR segment. Because VR was finally a big part of this E3. It was finally the E3 where VR was front and center, or at least, you know, front and slightly off center. It was, it was front. It was at least front. Um, and, you know, PSVR was there in a big way. Uh, I know all of us got a chance to try things in, in PlayStation VR, um, I am still so conflicted. I, I want to have PSVR for an extended period of time just from a hardware standpoint to compare it to Vive and Oculus because I'm still so uncertain. And, and I've, a lot of people have emailed and asked questions about uh, the, what I said last, uh, last week on the show. It, it does look good. It has a blurriness to it because of kind of what they're doing behind the scenes to, to – you know, increase the frame rate and, and make things work on that hardware. It's got a blurriness that Oculus and Vive do not have, but it also has less screen door effect than those headsets. So, you know, I need more time to kind of really decide, but it's it's really good. It's good, and if it's the only VR that you invest in, I don't think you're going to be unhappy with it. It's comfortable, it works well. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about the specific games. Um, who wants to start? Well, I have a game of, of my favorite VR game of show, which we have not discussed. Um, that is not so. I'm going to take us a little bit uh, off track from from the PSVR and go over to the Oculus Rift, which interestingly did not have a huge presence at the show. I mean, there were a couple games there in in booths. There was a lot more PSVR, I feel like, at E3 right. than Vive and Rift. But in the Oculus booth, they had a couple demos, and one of them was I thought totally awesome and stunning. Uh, a game called The Unspoken. Mm-hmm. And this game is developed by Insomniac, who uh, I think are now the busiest and most complicated developer in the video games industry. They they have gone from Ratchet and Clank to Resistance, Sunset Overdrive. They've got Song of the Deep, which is that like side-scrolling underwater indie-looking game. Uh, they are doing the new Spider-Man game, and it turns out they are working on a VR game that is, I think best described as Harry Potter meets Discs of Tron. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's um, a good way of putting it. You're, you're, you know, it's a first-person you know, view game. It uses the touch controllers, and it really uses them well, uh, where you're, like, summoning fireballs and throwing them across the arena at an opponent. You've got shields that you can summon, and you're using your hands to do all this. You can draw out weird shapes, and that'll create new things. You've got birds. You can kind of, like, kind of draw a bunch of birds on the screen and then touch them, and they fly across as a bomb. You've got a paper airplane you can fold and throw that across. It turns into a bomber and starts attacking. 
and you're jumping from platform to platform. I should say teleporting from platform to platform uh, as you're doing this. And the really cool thing about it is the person you're playing against is a real mm-hmm. person. So this actually will be one of the few games, if one of the first games that will use that uh, mysterious friends list in your Oculus Rift uh, home right. uh, room. Uh, you can also get matched up you know, randomly with people. Now, I don't know how that's going to work and how well any of that stuff's going to work because we haven't really seen that work in the wild uh, yet. But of all the games that I saw uh, in VR, this is the one that just immediately made sense and immediately was a power fantasy and made me feel like I'm doing something in a way I couldn't really experience this same thing uh, you know, using a controller kind of on a conventional screen. This, this was... Really cool, really polished. Insomniac just stretching their their wings, and uh, it was the coolest thing. Yeah, it, it's awesome. I played it at an Insomniac event a, a little while ago, and was similarly blown away. I, I do. It does make me a little sad that it doesn't sound like there's going to be any kind of single player component of. Like, I want to live in that world. This this idea that there's this magic world, you know, right under the surface in the alleyways of Chicago that you know you don't know about. I think that has legs as far as a narrative first-person experience would go. But, you know, playing... The, the, the secret sauce here is that you don't just push a button to, to, to do a magic spell. But there's a process to conjure your spells, which is so fun, and especially using those touch controllers that you have to, you know, draw things in the air or, you know, make an anvil and forge a spear. And it's... It, that All that stuff is is really fun and really well done. And is an example of something that just doesn't work in any other medium. It requires the tech of VR to, to be special. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and of the things that I think Oculus showed, there were a couple other interesting games. Wilson's Heart, which is being made by Twisted Pixel, which is a kind of a horror game made by the guys who made Explosion Man. Uh, you know, uh, uh, they had the climb in VR, which was exhausting with the touch controllers. They they had some cool stuff there, but that game specifically stood out, I think, as being one that, that really felt like a, the power fantasy you want yeah. in VR. Uh, I played that other game, Recoil, while I was there. I don't know if you got a chance to play that one, but it's basically as if you are the goalie of a foosball table. Like, you are living that power fantasy, I guess? Um, okay. Where you, you, by leaning left or right, you shoot yourself horizontally across the back of a goal to try to block incoming uh, discs that are being tossed by your opponent across the way. You can catch them, and you can punch them back. And it's this weird leaning thing where you're not actually running to and fro. You're just leaning, and that causes you to slide back and forth. Definitely takes some getting used to, but it's it's really fun, uh, you know, when you get the hang of it. And they've got that full body uh, IK thing where you see your whole body below you, and and when you're done, like it lets you dance. <laughs> you know, you can dance with the controllers, and it shows your guy dancing. Uh, it, it's silly fun and kind of a slight experience, but another clever use of the tech. Christian, did you try any of these, or were you focusing more on PSVR? Yeah, I did not uh, have any appointments with Oculus or Vive. I've you know played with them before, and I need to get over to Jeff's to have my my full Oculus experience. But yeah, at the show floor, it was just PSVR. So talk about that a little bit. So, yeah, what what'd you dig? So I I spent the most time with Batman, the Batman VR experience. I was fortunate to do both. One is you're investigating a crime scene, much like the way the crime scenes were in Arkham Origins. If you remember that game, you show up and you need to kind of rewind and you analyze, rewind, fast forward, rewind, fast forward. And it was cool. It feels really good to do that in VR. Like that's a, a scenario that makes sense in VR because when you played it in Arkham Origins, you're not 
you know, zooming around the map. Also, you're kind of standing still looking and using your detective mode. In this, you could move around the environment, but you would use the teleportation technique to kind of move around the crime scene and look at different aspects of it. So it was standing scale, not room scale, but it was standing with two move controllers, looking, rewinding, and it it looked great. Graphically, it looked great. It it did have that PlayStation VR blurriness, um, but it's... I would take that over the way Star Trek bridge crew looks like I don't understand why that game looks bad. I mean, it doesn't look bad, but you know what I mean? Like it doesn't, it's not wowing you. Yes. With its visuals. Well, it's rock steady making Batman Arkham. I mean, that's, that's, those are the guys. Right. And apparently, well, it's ready at dawn. Ready at dawn's making uh, the Star Trek thing. So it's not like the, I mean, they make the division and other kinds of, they're no slouching. Not ready at dawn. Um, Ready at Dawn is... Oh, I'm older. sorry. Not Ready at Dawn. Um, it's like Scarlet or... Uh, no. Um, yes. It's the guys that make The Division. Um, yes. Yes. They know what they're doing Emma, as well. Emily. 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 I think the name's Emily. Emily. Me on yeah. that. I can't believe I said that. Emily Gates. Emily Storm. Gates. Um, Red Storm. Yes. I knew it was a yes, hard that's right. sound. Uh, and then the other one is the one that Jeff described is where you become Batman. And I think in terms of if you have a friend come over that's never done VR, that's the one to do because you become Batman and then you see yourself as Batman in the mirror and you're like, I'm Batman. Like you have that moment <laughs> where, where you are Batman. Um, they said that they put both of those together in five to six months, which I think is pretty impressive for, you know, to get there. I don't quite know how they make a full game out of this. that has you doing combat unless it's, you know, third person. And then you zoom in, do first person for detective mode, or maybe it's, um, infinity blade style combat for the combat you know you're not really flipping around you're kind of just doing punch out motions but it was great i I thought it was really cool it's fun to be playing with an intellectual property that i love and then i I was able to sneak in on the back of someone's resident evil demo because they skipped out a little early i think it made them nauseous just to be honest (laughs) um and then i was able to sneak in for a little bit of it and it it to me was maybe the weirdest because it was my first experience playing a first-person VR game that handled locomotion with um, a traditional controller. So you were on the DualShock 4. And so I found myself, like, looking up and left, but just not quite realizing that my left thumb was lazy and, like, drifting a little bit. So you, you feel yourself moving, but there's, like, this disconnect between your head and or my head and my thumb. And then I'd be like, well, what am I doing? And I would, like, try to look back down, and then I'd hit a wall. And I think I personally did not get nauseous for like the 10 minutes I played it. But if people did, I could see that being a large contributing factor to to why. I don't know if I would play the whole game in VR. It, it's I don't think that's the most elegant solution. Did you do any games like that, Jeff, with the, the head and the thumbsticks? Um, I didn't play the Resident Evil 7 demo, but I did hear from a lot of people that shared your thoughts. And I I it worries me because it feels like they sort of didn't follow the best practices for VR and they just kind of threw that together just to be able to show it. And I, I suspect it won't be that way when it finally is released because of, because of the number of people that were nauseated, but it also sort of the headline that you get to have on Engadget in places is, you know, it VR continues to make people puke. And it's like, well, that one game did, but I played <clears throat> Farpoint, which mm. is a full on standing, First-person shooter using that new rifle controller thing that looks like a PVC pipe. Um, (laughs) But it has a thumbstick on it, and you move through the environment using the thumbstick, and and there's no teleporting, there's no, 
you know, um, what do they, what do they call that? The, the segmented turning where it like leaps to a, like, you know, on a clock, it'll like click to the, to a, you know, 90 degrees or directional kind of directional. Yeah. Direction. No, it was all smooth. Just as you would expect from a regular first person shooter. And I never felt nauseated, not once. And I was very surprised because I was strafing. I was, it was kinetic. There were uh, monsters all around me. That game demoed really well. I was so impressed with it. And that peripheral really made it fun. It felt like I was inside a first person shooter for the first time and there was no nausea. So I think, hmm. you know, it, it, it's on the developer. It's not, it's not a fault of the tech so much. It's like, you got to know what you're doing and take some care and not throw people into situations that cause that. And, you know, back to Resident Evil, that game, I don't know if you guys are aware, works both in VR and non-VR, and you can switch back and forth. So you could be playing it with the headset and be like, I can't handle this anymore, and take off the headset and play it just on your PS4. Like, that was a revelation to me when they mentioned that yeah. after my demo. They're like, oh, yeah, like, this is just a way to but play that, it. But doesn't that point to, I like, that- not really optimizing it for VR? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, and I think they didn't—they didn't make that clear, right? Like they show it at the Sony press conference, like Resident Evil Seven is a PSVR game, and everyone's like, "Whoa, that's a weird thing to do." And then it turns out, like, nope, nope, it's just a regular—it's a first-person game. They're doing a lot of new things with Resident Evil, but the VR part is just sort of cobbled together a little, and it felt like that when you played it with some of the kind of clicky movement and. And it, it was it was nauseating for a couple of reasons, not just the movement. It was also like you're wandering around like just bar- a barfy environment with like barfy things <laughs> yeah. laying everywhere. And you're like, this is what is this? Why do I want? Why am I going for this? This is <laughs> this is not. I, look, I, guys, I don't know about you, but like I get scared in in daylight hours playing Lucky's Tale <laughs> on my Rift, like no, knowing that like anyone could just creep in and like you know, punch me in the face. Like VR, you're, you're yeah. locked out of the world. And to like be just horrifying yourself in, in that experience. I know there'll be some people out there probably listening going like, yeah, you're a wuss. I am. It's not really my thing. I think it's cool that they can do it. And I think if they do it in better ways, Wilson's heart, again, for me on the Oculus Rift, I mentioned that uh, Twisted Pixel game, that to me was a more interesting way of doing a horror game uh, than, than, than Resident Evil 7, which it did, it definitely felt cobbled together. It didn't feel like it was Yeah, the, the secretly best VR experience that I had for PlayStation VR is a game that wasn't in their press conference, and far few, few people are, or too few people are talking about it, and that's the Crytek game, Robinson the Journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, that game yeah. is awesome. Another really cool fantasy. You know, you're this little kid whose family has been living on a spaceship and you crash land on this planet. The planet is like prehistoric earth. So there's dinosaurs everywhere and you're trying to get back to your, find your family. And you've got this little robot, you know, flight of the navigator type companion guy helping you through. And you're just exploring this lush green, a jungle world that has dinosaurs around every corner. And it's gorgeous far more beautiful than almost anything I've played on current VR setups works really well, no nausea. And you're doing sort of, uh, you know, they're borrowing from their other game, the climb. So there's climbing parts where you're climbing and there's, you know, you're just kind of exploring and and discovering this world. That is a game that right now, unfortunately is a PSVR exclusive. And it's like, if I can't get that on my Oculus or my Vive, then I might have to get a PlayStation VR. Ugh. (laughs) <laughs> this is so good looking. 
Yeah, it was a really cool game. I mean, the moment where, you know, as you're wandering through this environment, you see some raptors, you see some other stuff, and then you're just basically playing the climb to, you know, scurry up to some uh, treetops. There's like a Brachiosaurus or a Brontosaurus or just some sort of large herbivore-saurus um, that, like, you walk past that is one of the largest sort of most intimidating it's like head is right next to you and it's like a giant the head is the size of a bus and you're just it's it feels like it's looming over you it's not going to eat you it's not going to do anything uh but you just kind of marvel at the kind of breathtaking scope of this beast and if that's indicative of where they're going with this game like you know god when the tyrannosaurus comes and like is about to eat your face like yeah i don't know i might i might (laughs) again yeah i think there's lots to be excited about with vr i got to see uh the new version of raw data behind closed doors which is insane they basically let you play a jedi there's a there are classes now in that game and i'll talk about that more later but um they can't call it a Jedi, but you, you have light swords, you can throw them and they'll come back to your hand. You have like a force push, you have a force lightning, you can pick people up with force and throw them around. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, but let's move off of VR uh, now and, and kind of uh, talk about some hidden gems that maybe uh, weren't getting the big headlines, aren't the big AAA games, but you know also kind of wowed us and, and deserve a little bit of a spotlight. Uh, I want to start with one called uh, Loot Rascals. Uh, have you guys heard about this game? It's it was a you know on one kiosk in the Sony booth. It's an independently developed game. Looks delightful. It's it's by uh, one of the guys that that did an episode of um, uh, Rick and Morty, or was it? Oh no no, it's Adventure Time. He did an episode of Adventure Time. Um, it's it looks delightful. It's a turn based game with hexes, but you don't initiate the next turn until you move your guy onto a hex and he can move fluidly. So it's got this sort of real-time feel with a turn-based actual function. So you can move your guy all around his hex as much as you want, but until he crosses that line to the next hex, it doesn't move the game forward. Uh, and you're constantly collecting cards that have different properties and are different items that you find. And... Uh, you can put them on or not, you know, take them off and build your little deck, your composition of your character, and gives them certain buffs and stuff that determine how the combat will be affected. And uh, it's one of those games that sort of like the like journey that is constantly connected to other people, but you're not sure when it is and when it isn't. And if you somebody can, so if you have an item and you die in the game, it will send that item to another player and ask them whether they want to loot it or whether they want to send it back to you. And if they loot it and take the cool item from you, a ghost of you appears in their game hunting them to try to kill them. But if they return it back to you, all is well, and you can find your item and get it back. So there's this constant, like, fun pseudo-interaction you have with other players Really clever, and it, it looks fun, and I, I just think more people should be talking about it. It's called Loot Rascals. I, yeah, you know, I think what you're missing in your description of it is exactly how bizarre the art style is. And part of the reason is that this game is developed by Hollow Pond, who made right. Hokum. And if you thought Hohokam was a kooky-looking game, like, you gotta see Loot Rascals. Because it it's like a just Technicolor barf. <laughs> it's like there's so much just 
stuff and these characters that you see kind of in, in the other hexes, the design of everything is just wacky. It's like garbage pail kids meets a turn-based strategy. It's really visually kind of all over the place. And that's one of the things I loved about it. It's sort of like a hokum. Like they just kind of you know, there's a style there, but what you're actually staring at, you can't really make sense of all the time. And and that to me was, I think maybe what is going to draw people into loot rascals and it's what's going to push some people out who are going to be like, I don't understand yeah. this vocabulary. Yeah, but it, I love stuff that's different like that. Um, Christian, oh, do you yeah. have a hidden gem you want to bring up? Yeah, Manifold Garden, which is um, Gravity Rush 2, I should just mention, looks great. I don't know if anyone else oh, mentioned definitely that. Yeah, Gravity Rush 2. Gravity Rush 2. I, I, I think that game looks awesome, but yeah, go ahead. And this has a little bit of that in it. It it you have gravity manipulation that you can basically walk on any surface you can see. So as you twist and turn and move the environment, which is very Escher esque, you are then trying to solve these environmental puzzles by turning the world. And and um, you know, I played it. It was set up in a Sony booth, and it's certainly not you know Echo Chrome kind of did the same thing of turning the world in an Escher esque world and where you end up. But Manifeld Garden with the idea of having an Escher-esque world that you can manipulate and then also shift gravity to then walk on the thing to get to the thing. Like, I don't think I'll ever finish this game <laughs> just because I think my head, like, I'll be, this is so cool. And then I'll get to the first challenging puzzle and break a controller, but it's something worth checking out. And then the developer was talking, you know, briefly about, it was this level where it's just kind of stairs on both sides and what you're trying to do. And he's like, yeah, I'm having a lot of fun with the game. I, this probably won't be in there. I, there's no way it's going to be in there. But things that I'm having fun with are include trophies, where he said one of his you know jokes would have been to include a trophy for bottom of the stairs, except there is no bottom. Like, it literally just keeps going. <laughs> and so you'd have to go for, like, two hours, and then you'd get the trophy, like, bottom of the stairs. So I think there might be puzzles within puzzles and the creativity shown in, in a game that, you know, I don't think has really gotten a spotlight yet. I think people should check out manifold garden so yeah uh our friends at supergiant games uh are making a game called pyre uh you know in the past they've made bastion and transistor both interesting stylish kind of artsy unique games i would call both of those and so is this one um it's it starts off and feels like sort of an rpg you wake up in some mysterious desert and you end up uh, joining some very weird looking alien types uh, in a caravan and you start sort of caravanning across the desert and then can't exactly remember how, but you wind up in these fighting pits and the way you fight is Wait, what did you fighting pit P I T fighting pit. Yeah. Like a fighting pit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that Actually, it looks like it's going to be a turn-based strategy thing where, you know, you have three characters and you got to like move across this little screen and, and attack the enemy or whatever. And you don't. It's real time, and you have like a ball that you have to throw into the enemy's portal. I swear to God, it's like an eSport. It's, yeah. like, it's like Supergiant is making a sports game. It's, a, it's kind of basketball, rugby, something. And each of the characters – competitive have, fantasy dodgeball. It's, yes. There's <laughs> like so many weird words you can string together to try to describe it. None of it really do it justice. And in the demo, the first time you play it, you totally don't understand it. But by like the end of this demo, you play through a few of these basketball, rugby, fighting pit things, and you're like, oh, man, I get it, and I want to play it more because I want to start to perfect like how I throw this ball around and which character can move. Some characters can move with the ball. Other characters, like if you throw it, you have to wait, or there's a big character that can you can kind of attack the enemies as well. Some characters move slow, some are quick. It's 
weird, man. It is totally weird, and I am totally in. I think that these guys have dis- uh, established a real style in both their art and their delivery, in their writing. It's some of the best in the business, I believe, certainly in the independent games business and possibly in the broader video games business. Uh, their creativity is off the charts, and this is, uh, again, a hard game to explain, but one I think people people should uh, certainly look into because it definitely got overlooked at E3. Yeah, yeah, I, lo- I love Supergiant. That's uh, Greg Kazavian's company. I mean, if there's any proof that people like us can go on and make cool games, he's, he's proving it to be true. Um, yeah, good stuff, really, really cool. Another, I, I do want to underscore what Christian said about Gravity Rush 2. It's It's a crime that that wasn't like in the press conference. It looks so good and it will be a shame if people don't um, give it more of a chance because I got hands on with it and played it. It's really fun. Um, But the game I want to highlight as my last hidden gem is a game called bound, which is another of these, like the aesthetic is so unique and so interesting and it's something you've never done before. It's this weird polygonal world where everything is made out of cubes and it's kind of gyrating and moving all the time. And you are this princess who is like this dancer and she moves like a ballerina, like a trained ballerina, very elegantly, her arms outstretched, her body in this perfect uh, erect pose of, you know, uh, uh, like the second point, second position or whatever they call it in, in ballet. And she kind of elegantly walks through the environment, moving, uh, you know, on her tiptoes like a dancer across a stage. And there's three buttons in the game. Uh, Jump. uh, What is it? Run and dance. Like dance is a button. At any point you push the button and she can dance. And uh, I was just so taken by how that game looked. And it's something completely unique and different. And it's called Bound. Every game should have a dance button. Right? I agree. Every game. Every game. All right, so we'll wrap up this episode. Uh, This has been so fun. I could go on for hours talking about E3, and there's lots of games we didn't get to, but um, I want to talk about our biggest surprise and our biggest disappointment. So, uh, Ben, what was your biggest surprise and your biggest disappointment from E3? Uh, My biggest surprise... uh, I have kind of two, but I'll I'll just focus on one. But uh, Well, maybe I'll mention both. They're from Sony. Uh, the first was the overall presence of PSVR. I did not think we were going to get that much PSVR at the show. I knew Sony was going to have stuff, but it just felt like it was like everywhere somebody had some PSVR thing. It was really like the Batman and, you know, uh, 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 just kind of as you roam the floor Resident Evil, you would just kind of see PSVR everywhere. The biggest surprise, though, for me was what they did to God of War. Yeah. Um, they never would have seen that coming. Just never. Even if you told me God of War is going to be at E3, like there's no way I could have spelled out what that demo was going to be. <laughs> that was just off the charts crazy. And also, you know, I think it, it deserves to be said, I wouldn't have said I wanted it. And, and I love, you know, it's that one of that old Steve Jobs quote, uh, you know, that, that people don't know what they want. You have to tell them what they want. Mm-hmm. And, and I think this is an example of that, that, is, you know, visionary games, visionary designers – who presents something that I didn't even realize I wanted, but I now I feel like I want this desperately. But if you had said, hey, Jeff, how, how do you make God of War? I wouldn't have described this, but I'm so glad this is what we're getting. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's really why it was so so cool. And I, maybe uh, you know, speaking to Corey and actually getting a little bit more insight into why he made this game and where it comes from and just how personal this story is. I mean, how can you make God of War personal? Right. He's like a demigod who slays you know, Ares and Zeus. Like, there's nothing personal about that. And somehow he's transformed it into like, you know, 
something that a, a new new parent can totally understand, like raging. You know, you have a kid who's not listening to you, so you have a rage meter. Like I have a rage meter, so <laughs> you know, like I, I get it. I totally get it. I think that was brilliant. Um, not brilliant for me. Um, there were a few games, and I think we we agree on a couple of them. I'm going to pick mine, which uh, might be a little controversial, but it's Mafia Three. Wow. Um, I absolutely hated this demo. Um, and I'll tell you why. Um, I, you know, okay, I, I will caveat. I think the world that they're building here is cool. And I like that they're doing sort of a take on New Orleans. I think that's interesting. We haven't really seen a, a ton of that in games. We've seen a little bit, uh, but not a ton in games. And it does feel like a real lived in place with these different boroughs. And um, that part about it's cool. But I didn't like any character in that demo. They were all unlikable, super serious, super just jerks. Everyone was jerky and a murdering maniac. And maybe it's the week talking here. Maybe it was a bad week for this. But I saw lots of games where you kill people, lots of games where you shoot people. And this just felt like this remorseless, murdering jerk. And not just him. I mean, all of his, you know, the the underbosses from the main character, they were all just sort of like slaughtering each other in the city. And I feel like if you're going to do a game that's Grand Theft Auto, if you're going to just do your version of it, you know, the, the way that this stuff works and, and is okay, like the way that a Tarantino movie filled with just insane violence is okay, is that there's some sort of valve or vent or something to, to, to make you feel like you somehow like these characters or you like one or two of the characters or there's some humor in it. Uh, otherwise, it just felt grim and heavy with with heavy-handed storytelling that didn't need to be that way. I mean, I, I really like what they're doing with the lead character. It's an interesting kind of character. They haven't had a lot of African-American uh, characters who star in a game like this. And, and you know, I love the sort of military backstory to the character and then, you know, kind of taking on the mob. But it just felt too serious. It felt too heavy. It, it felt really derivative. I didn't, I mean, there were some things that they, you know, tried to spell out in their little demo about, like, you know, taking over the city and like ordering your underbosses to kind of go to different places and there'll be choices you have to make and stuff. But in a world that's given us Grand Theft Auto V, in a world that's given us Watch Dogs that does interesting stuff with it, this just felt like uh, kind of a, a game I don't need uh, to play and a game that felt like it would just not be very pleasurable to play. Wow. Christian, you had a different take on that game, right? Yeah, I left the presentation impressed by the game. I agree with everything you know, Ben said in terms of the descriptors of the game, it felt self-serious and um, you're not likable. I mean, maybe there's a hook later in the story that makes the protagonist more likable, but I, I think akin to John Wick, the film, they don't, I mean, I guess they try to humanize Keanu a little bit that I know how they, they, there's a everybody's Reddit book for screenwriting called Save the Cat. And it's you have your save your cat moment, but makes your protagonist likable to everyone because they do something that is just good. And then you can have them do anything you want after that because they're your protagonist now and everybody's on, on board with them. And I know what that is in John Wick. Uh, I don't know what that is in Mafia 3. I feel like they have it. I think they hint at what it is, but they haven't shown it. But I, I, I kind of like the world. I, I like the idea of shades of gray and you're bad and you're you know you're playing breaking bad right like you're a bad guy that's done some bad stuff and but these other guys are worse and you're gonna go take them down and i think the way they presented the game uh it was underscored by music from the era that hit just right um 
I'm excited. I'm opti- opti- uh, optimistic. Optimistically. Cautiously optimistic. Cautiously optimistic. Holy crap. It's too <laughs> hot, guys. Cautious. Cautiously hot. optimistic about this game. And while I enjoyed Grand Theft Auto V, I think that that game had too much that wasn't narrative. And I'm hoping that Mafia 3 is the right mix of narrative and sandbox for me. You know, you brought, just to interject real quick, you brought up Breaking Bad and the way that Breaking Bad worked and the, the way that all that insanity and violence worked is, is that character setup of, of Walter and, 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 and his family life and who he is and what he's struggling against with cancer and then what he, you watch him become the person he becomes and you watch the violence kind of ratchet itself up. And, and there was and is in that series, uh, you know, a dark sense of humor that runs through the whole thing. Saul and everybody, they have these characters that really allow you to kind of breathe. Even John Wick, which is, you know, super violent. Um, there's a style to it and, you know, music that runs through it that makes you kind of like, it feels like at times a little like super hot or something, you know, where it's like bullets and cool and fast and, and crazy. This was just like hiding for undercover, 30 guys out there. And I just run and like shotgun blast everybody in the stomach and like brutally. And, I don't know really why I'm being so vicious the entire time without moments of, 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 of escape. And maybe you're right in the final game, there'll be the, uh, presumably there'll be a, a more of a, of a flow, a little bit more roller coaster there. But uh, I just, I just didn't like it, man. Huh. Fair enough. Uh, Christian, do you have a, a biggest surprise and biggest disappointment? Um, the easy answer for biggest surprise is God of War, of course. Uh, incredible, incredible. To just state another again, we happy few. I think the, what the, the way that showed at Microsoft's press conference looked cool. I'm intrigued of its roguelike-esque um, tendencies that they say it leans to. I think if that can combine that, again, I like narrative in games. If they can combine that with like core story points and narrative bits that everybody goes through, I think that game could end up you know, blowing people away. So hopefully that game delivers and hopefully God of War, you know, comes out in my lifetime. <laughs> um, and then the other biggest surprise is just from an E3 spectacle um, side of things. Nintendo's booth, beautiful. Yeah. It was better than any line in Disneyland or Disney World. You know, like when you go through and you see like Snow White and you're kind of waiting in line or like Star Tours. Holy moly, they turned it into Hyrule. Like they had a temple it was it was beautiful. The way you were ushered in, I was going to bring this up for my surprise as well. Like the the thing that we thought was you know going in was like oh, Nintendo only has one game that was dumb, and it turned out to be brilliant because they could turn their entire booth into this this magical fantasy world for one game. And how you're brought in, like what happened was everyone was standing in line. You go into this little room that is decorated really cool, but there's this giant video wall. Like, one of the four walls of the room you're in is all a screen. And on that, they show some stuff for the game. But at the end of it, it it turns into, uh, like, one of the temple doors that's in the game. And then that raises up like it does in the video game. And then the screen itself raises, and you're ushered into the rest of the booth, which is walled off completely, so you can't see anything but the booth. And it is lit like Hyrule, decorated like Hyrule. There's giant three-dimensional characters and objects everywhere. And it, it just felt like this magical welcoming into a fairy tale. And it couldn't have been more cool, right? Did you notice that in the carpet, which looked like grass, every once in a while as you were walking around, you could step on something and it would go... 
like you found. Oh, no. I didn't even notice that. Oh, yeah, man. They had secrets in their booth. This, to me, this booth was the best argument for turning E3 into a fan convention or at least having like two days where just fans come in because, you know, a lot of jaded journalists and – you know, grumpy retail people are like, oh yeah, it looks pretty cool. And then like, I mean, I walked through the booth and then went upstairs to play the game. Like I didn't sit in their big booth and wait in a line that wrapped around the West Hall. Like, yeah. like this is a reason. If you're going to spend that money and build that booth and make it look like Disneyland, like man, have it open for a week and have fans just come on in and enjoy it. Yeah, and they would flock to it for a week because mm-hmm. it was incredible. Totally. Absolutely incredible. My disappointments is I hope both prove me wrong. It's a tie for two. Um, ReCore, which when they showed the trailer for that uh, two years ago, I thought looked really cool and was going to do some cool character stuff. And then my brief time playing the game and then watching a lot of other people play the game, it just feels very rote. Um, it, it, you, you go into a room, the room closes, and then your combat, but it's not exceptional combat it's nothing cool it's just third person basic action combat and then the first trailer when they revealed it and you had your dog your core dog i was like oh finally i love pets i love bonding with things in games but like you can at least in the demo you could hot swap your core buddy at any time so i never felt like this connection to my core dog because (laughs) my core dog because i got into a, a part of a game where i needed my little core spider to do what was essentially a bad version of metroid prime ball puzzle and it was like, oh, now I got spider guy. Then I bring in my tank guy. Then I bring in my dog guy. Then my spider. And it just didn't, nothing about it clicked or felt special. Hopefully there's more to the game and, and just maybe what was shown didn't work. But it felt like they were trying to go for a team ninja high school. Like points were flying off of guys and you were being awarded scores for takedowns. But none of it felt cool. At no point was I doing an awesome backflip and shooting my one gun while I had my ninja sword with my other gun. I was just kind of walking straight and slowly strafing around things. Um, that was disappointing. And then... I guess maybe bigger just because of my affinity for the intellectual property. I thought Telltale's Batman, it really left me flat. I I really, really enjoy Telltale's stories, but I feel like their engine and the way in which they presented them, I have become fatigued with that. I think the pace of their conversation is off and feels funny. And I know you need to pay attention to the conversation because that's the game. But the characters in those games, I feel like they talk slowly and then they say a thing. And then there's like a weird cut as they walk across a room halfway and then keep talking slowly. It's like, it just feels off in in a world where we're having good storytelling in games now, other games. And then they touted a new engine or, you know, a revamped engine. So I was excited that maybe that was going to change. It didn't. It felt the same when someone asked like, oh, I thought you had a new engine. They were like, yeah, look, Batman's cape. It's cloth. We never had cloth before. And I was just like, yawn. I, I think the story is going to be great. And I, I think I'd rather just read it. <laughs> um, but it, it left me flat, unfortunately. Super hard game to demo at E3. Like they had the two sections where there was sort of action and then the section that wasn't action. And they did it the wrong way. They started off showing you the action section and then they showed you like 15 minutes of a conversation. And you're just like, I mean, I was – I saw it at the very end of the show. So maybe this is my own fault. But it was like at 3 o'clock on Thursday. And uh, I was with our friend Victor Lucas, who Mm -hmm. is the world's biggest Batman fan, and I am not making that up. He is – I think he could probably be in the running for the world's biggest Batman fan. Yes. And he was so excited, and we left there, and he just looked at me with, like, dead eyes. Like, that was was so boring. And I'm like, right, that was so boring. I mean, if the world's biggest Batman fan thinks your demo of a Batman Telltale game is boring, then you've got to either work on the game or work on the demo – 
Um, and yeah, Telltale has been mining the same spiel for a long time now, and we're not really seeing it move forward very much. And I think there's some fatigue, a lot of fatigue setting in with these guys. Yeah, I agree. So uh, my surprises, I, you know, I thought we talked about uh, the Zelda booth. I thought that was pretty huge. Um, I was also really surprised with Gwent. I have to admit, I'll be completely honest. I had a meeting with CD Projekt Red, and when I found out that all they were showing was a standalone Gwent, I, was, I almost blew off the meeting. I was like, I, I don't want to spend an hour of my precious E3 time playing a game that I've already played in Witcher 3, and it's just like they just yanked it out and put out this. No, it is extraordinarily fun. And just playing Gwent against another human being is really fun. And I know that everybody has a, you know, digital card game now. It's a new requirement to have a digital card game. But Gwent feels really different. I mean, Hearthstone is basically a take on Magic, and a lot of these games are basically a take on Magic. And I love Magic, and I love Hearthstone, but it's nice that what Gwent is is so different. I mean, there's no mana. You can play any card from your hand at any point, so you don't have to worry about, you know, I can't afford that card yet, or I have to get some more mana later in the game to be able to pay for that card. No, you play any card you want at any time, and it's played over three rounds, and there's a lot more bluffing. There's no bluffing in Hearthstone. There's no bluffing in Magic the Gathering, really. But in in uh, Gwent, you're trying to get someone maybe, because you're only trying to win two out of three rounds, maybe you're going to throw one of the rounds and try to bluff somebody into playing their best cards on a round you didn't even intend to win just so that they don't have those cards later when you are trying to win. And that push and pull of playing against a real human being is really fun. I mean, I sat down to play Gwent against another person in the CD Projekt Red uh, behind closed doors area. And I think I had more fun doing that against a real human being than almost anything else I did at the at the show. It, we were in a bat, in a in a match of wits and playing against each other. It, it was it was really fun. Plus, they're doing all kinds of other stuff with the game, like adding a story component and having this sort of puzzle quest esque top down map that you wander around and discover things on. So it, it's a much more robust product than I anticipated. But also the game itself, because you're actually playing as human beings and not AI, is instantly more fun and interesting. And and the decks are rebalanced and there's lots of really cool methods of play. So I was really blown away by Gwent. It was a big surprise for me. The, That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so disappointments. Um, you know, I love VR. You know, I'm always rooting for VR. And we talked about how great Insomniac is and how impressed we are that they're doing so many projects and how the the quality level of their projects are great. Uh, and I'm very much excited about The Unspoken. I raved about Edge of Nowhere. Those are two VR projects that I think are going to be spectacular. But I, for the first time, got hands-on with their third VR project that they've announced, and that is Feral Rights. And I walked away from that really worried about that game. Um, it felt like somebody asked... You know, that, that maybe Oculus came to them and said, hey, we want to prove that you can do a God of War style brawler in VR and that it's cool. Can you guys do that? And they went, sure. And then they ran into all these problems and the solutions for the problems, I think, are really clunky. And it it, it does not feel like it takes advantage of VR. It does not feel like it's a 
excellent brawler as it stands right now. They said there's a lot of functionality that still needs to, to be implemented, a lot of combos that weren't in the game yet, so maybe that'll improve, but the combat right now doesn't feel that fun. And the VR stuff, because it's a brawler and because you're fighting a lot of enemies at, at once, very often the camera is really pulled out, which defeats the purpose of VR. What's fun about VR is being right up inside that world, being close to the characters and being able to look around from your left to your right. And there are moments like these cool, um, like, uh, finishing moves that you do where the camera will zoom in for a second. And I told the designer, I was like, that's, that's where I want to play the whole game. Like, let's be zoomed in on that and see the detail up close with my VR goggles. I don't want to be this weird zoomed out thing where there's partitions that show you where the camera is going to change. It, it, it was really disappointing. And I hope that that game has a lot of changes before it's released uh, so that it is, it's more fun and takes better advantage of VR because I'm rooting for it. And I, I guess when you make a thousand, I guess when you make a thousand games <laughs> with a, with a staff of 200 people or whatever, however yeah. big that studio is, something's going to suffer. This sounds like where, uh, where they're stretched too thin, huh? Perhaps. Yeah. I will I, sacrifice that game at the altar. If it means an amazing Spider-Man game, yeah, if that's what I, it takes, I, I will, I will bring that over to the volcano and say, take this game. Yeah. Yeah, get it through. I agree. And again, they've they've got they've been hitting them out of the park lately. And uh, you know, this is one one little disappointment of my of my E three, but it was a big one for me because I was excited to see it. All right, guys, um, that's going to do it for this episode of DLC. So much fun talking E three. Uh, well, you know, lots more to come uh, in the coming weeks. Uh, more games we didn't get to. I'd love to hear your feedback on games that maybe we looked over overlooked or or you would like to hear more about, um, if you email us, dlcfeedback at gmail.com. Uh, also, I have that uh, interview with Corey coming up uh, after this. It's it's not too long, but it's a really interesting interview. So I hope you stick around for that. But Ben Silverman, thank you so much for being here, man. It was so fun hanging out with you at the show. Um, we're glad to have you on this show as well. Thanks for having me. And you know, guys, I know that you're not going to be uh, playing the E3 hype train for a little while. So I'm going to re- uh, request that we get a holiday hype train because I think that's the next big thing that uh, we're going to start to see a lot of marketing and blowout for a lot of these big holiday releases. Ooh. So please put together a little holiday hype train, would you? Maybe we do need to have the holiday hype train, Christian. That sounds like a good idea. Um it's uh, it's it's like the Polar Express. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Maybe Tom Hanks will come in and do some VO for you. I'm sure. I'm sure he will. If you just come, give him a call. I, I will say that people have responded very well to Christian's call for a VR bumper. We have several awesome options. And I think next week when we go back to our regular format, uh, we'll have to debut several of those. Next, next week, Jeff? Oh, are you going to do them today? I found an edit point, buddy. Oh, okay. Well, I wanted to. Pl- what I wanted, to, what I was planning to do, is play all of them and let people decide which one should be oh. the actual bumper. Okay. So, sorry uh, this week. Sorry, this, sorry week. this week. So next week, when we're back to our regular format, we will do. Uh, we will play all the different bumpers that we've gotten because we've gotten several. And uh, I have a favorite. I don't know if it's the same one that's your favorite, Christian, but uh, I would love to. You know, maybe we can rotate them or whatever. But maybe we'll come to a conclusion from a democratic standpoint from the audience and, and find out who, what, which one people like best. But thank you to everybody that sent them because they're awesome. They're all awesome. Um, anyway, Ben Silverman, Yahoo Games, uh, tell me where people can keep up with you. 
Well, sadly, no longer at Yahoo Games because Yahoo has decided to exit uh, the Yahoo Games business specifically. So I am at Yahoo Esports. I don't know if you guys are familiar with electronic sports. Yes, uh, I hear it's going to be big in the uh, it, it, as soon as you know, in the year two thousand, we'll all be playing electronic sports. In the year 2000, guys, there's going to be a little game called League of Legends that apparently is going to be a big deal. Yeah, uh, a lot of money, a lot of money being thrown into esports. Um, a lot of people getting involved in esports, including me. So, uh, if you are an esports type of person, Yahoo Esports has all kinds of content for you. Uh, and I am still covering the traditional video game uh, industry. Uh, on Yahoo, primarily through Yahoo Tech, so uh, tentpole release reviews and then occasionally some stories uh, about the video game industry. So yeah, I'm, I'm all over the Yahoo. And you are Ben underscore Silverman on the Twitters? At Twitter, not the Ben Silverman who was responsible for The Office, uh, who is the Ben Silverman who out-Googles me. Uh, <laughs> a lot of people think that I uh, was the former uh, chairman of NBC. I'm not that guy, although I do get all of his... Uh, he's, a, he's a Democrat, and I get all of his mail. Oh. Uh, yeah, I have pictures of him with Obama and stuff. It's pretty <laughs> awesome. Someone asked if you're the head of NBC. You say yes. <laughs> That's right. Just kind of – I'll Photoshop my face over his on the uh, photos I get and upload. There you go. <laughs> awesome. Christian, how about you? What do you got going on this week? Well, if you are a fan of the new God of War and that take on Kratos, boy, do I have a podcast for you, Jeff. <laughs> well it's called The Department of Parenting. It's a podcast uh, about parenting. They're short, humorous little takes. We try to give advice based on articles and then talk about um, where we are. It's myself and Chris Quintos, who played your wife in the Marriage Is shorts that we did a little bit ago. And um, it's departmentofparenting.com. You can find the links for iTunes, RSS, and stream it on the site right there. And then this is is way too early to announce, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to announce it now because I have the date locked. If you are anywhere near San Diego on November 15th, I will be recording the second album, my second oh, stand-up wow, album. That's awesome. The plan is November 15th at Lestats in San Diego, which is 3343 Adams Avenue. I think I am going to record a couple of shows. Um, last, My first album was called Moment in Time, and I was very proud of the fact that it is one moment, but I think I'm going to go the more traditional route this time and give myself a few edit points. <laughs> um, but the, my, my first time recording the new album will be November 15th in San Diego. Jeff, what about you? That sounds awesome, dude. I can't wait to hear that. I can't believe you have a whole nother album's worth of material already. That's exciting. November 15th, Jeff. November 15th. <laughs> He's working hard until then. You are, you are the video game industry. You're, you're setting your release date and you don't know if you're going to have the game finished in time. Wait till you see the trailer I have, though. It's so good. <laughs> I want some hands-on with your new material, Christian. So I you've seen it. You've, you've heard some of it. It is really good, actually. It's really, really good. Um, I uh, I got lots going on, too. Um, I did a bunch of stuff on stage at GameSpot over E3. So if you want to look those up, they're all on YouTube, uh, hosting stuff with Andrea Renee and Danny O'Dyer and um, lots of other people, Dave Jewett, uh, Chris Waters, uh, all of those folks and I were on stage for many hours talking about the stuff we saw at E3. So if you want to hear more about that, Search for that. Uh, I also did a couple of fun um, videos. There's a video of me playing Star Trek Bridge Crew, which was a blast. Uh, I did some stuff for uh, NVIDIA, uh, me playing uh, Raw Data and other things there. So there's lots of other things to find. Um, also, I'm still doing We Have Concerns. Uh, you can find that at wehaveconcerns.com and uh, Tomorrow Daily. Uh, tomorrowdaily.com is where you find that show about 
That's a video show about tech on CNET. And, of course, the Slash Filmcast. I wasn't on last week, but we'll be back this week talking about Finding Dory. So you can find that at SlashFilmcast.com. And always follow me on Twitter at Jeff Kanata. All right, guys, we'll be back next week with another uh, regular episode. Again, you can always um, email us, dlcfeedback at gmail.com, and the Reddit is at 5x5dlc.reddit.com. This has been a blast, another great E3 in the can, and we'll send us out one last time with that E3 hype train music. We appreciate you guys listening. Thanks for everything. We'll talk next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place. It's funny, I haven't actually introduced myself in any of these. I'm terrible at that. Well, you can introduce yourself now. There you go. You're Corey Barlog? Corey Barlog, director of God of War. And uh, God of War with no subtitle. No subtitle. But it's not a reboot. Not a reboot. Yeah. Not Continuing. a reboot uh, in the traditional sense of what a reboot is. We're not going back telling the origin story. It's not you know, how Iron Man made the Mark I or anything. It's, right. It's a very rich history of this character, of Kratos. So yeah. There's a continuation out of that, but... I mean, the story itself is about getting a new start, a fresh start, but you can't wipe away his history. So he's kind of moving forward, trying to do something different, but I think for me, giving that new era, new start with the numerology so that it feels fresh. Well, I think that the freshness for me, and I'm very impressed with what I saw, the freshness for me comes from tone. And uh, I'll be honest, it's it's kind of heartening, actually, uh, to see a series that has been so associated with a very juvenile mentality yeah. to it, it's a little grown up here there's it seems it's it, you're deepening it and and making it about something which i find to be so exciting yeah is that that's intentional and intentional it's yeah. a fun challenge i think as a writer to kind of try to flip something on its head yeah you know, but make it believable uh, i've been talking a lot about uh, like arrow season one is killing everything Right. He's just a brutal, like, vigilante, right? But in season two, it's all about his struggle and the continuation of, he's not going to do that anymore. But it's not as if that temptation goes away. It's not that the situations don't go away. It's how he's handling it. So he's not just the petulant rich kid getting his way. And yeah. I think, you know, and it's a reflection of me and a bunch of other people on the team growing up, like, getting older and having kids and seeing the world through a different lens. Yeah. Which affects creatively the decisions we make. And I think we can do that now with video games. Like yeah. The capability is there to tell these more nuanced stories. Yeah. Yeah. The audience is there. The audience wants this. You know, yeah. I think there was a time when the audience did not want something like this. It would be considered art house or something like that. You know? so now it's, it's kind of expected, which I think is fantastic because truly without a strong connection, dramatic connection to any of the characters, you're just moving something around on screen. Yeah. You know, it's, if I was spending, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 hours with the game, I want to care about yeah. why I'm doing all of that. Yeah. And I immediately was just seeing the, the, the demo. Um, awesome. I've also never, I've played a thousand video games. We all have, uh, where I get experience for doing things, but it feels like such an obvious and amazing, brilliant idea to give experience to someone. That's, that's what we do is we, uh, if we teach, we, we are providing experience right. What a great novel approach there. Yeah. Is there any concern, though, that what we saw in this demo is he's literally teaching a child to kill? Um, no, it's in a 
time period where survival is every step of every journey. Yeah. You know, they are living in the sort of Viking era, migration, pre-migration. So we're talking in a time when it was very barren in there, but a time when the gods and monsters walked the earth. So mm-hmm. it is a very hostile place. And to them, it is survival. It is teaching the kid to, the way he was taught in the Spartan ago, you know, when he was taught to be a warrior, except in a much more delicate way than the way he's doing it, uh, that, that you have to do what you have to do to survive. Yeah. But he's trying to teach him a better way of not going out and seeking vengeance, retribution, and just killing for the sake of killing. Mm-hmm. Um, it, 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 you're with the child through the entire storyline? Mm-hmm. It, it's, a, it's a buddy picture, for, for lack of a better term? It is a buddy picture. I the I think the most drastic thing you notice right away when you see this footage is uh, the, the camera. The, yeah. the God of War camera is so iconic, and it really I think you know ushered in a whole bunch of games that that you know, yeah. you know mirrored it. What was the decision like to change the camera to a more traditional third person view? Uh, I mean, you know, we put all the pieces on the table, taking the game apart, deconstructing it, and trying to figure out what's the best method to approach this problem. The camera was the one that kept coming up, you know, and changing it for the sake of changing it was like, no, we don't want to do that. Like, that's stupid. Like, mm-hmm. if we have a good reason, let's do that. And the concept of getting into a much more intimate story, to me, I kept talking about, like, it's like a documentarian following Kratos around. What would it wow. be like if he has to face all these things that seem like somewhat normal problems for everybody else, but they're Herculean for him? Right. And then the Herculean problems are normal. To him, fighting a troll is comfort zone. Mm-hmm. To, to him, patting his kid on the back and saying "good job" and meaning it is Mount Everest, you know. And I think he can't see that from a thousand feet away, from a wide shot. You got to be in close. That's so cool. That's an interesting perspective on it. I'm so sorry. Yeah. You have a quick closer. Um, stuff that's that we know from the game is more weapons, stuff like that. That's going to be, or is he stick with the axe throughout? Oh, we'll be talking about all that stuff soon. Okay. Fair enough. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks.